Hey there. This is just a reminder that we will be at the Portland Retro Games Expo 2019. That is happening the weekend of October the 19th and 20th. As usual, we will have a table on the floor and we will be doing a live show, a live panel. So watch the web for details about that panel and about our meetup. We would love to see you. It is a very good time. Come on out. Um, we can only do it thanks to the people who have decided to give to us at patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Thank you. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch, our monthly Q&A listener response and episode announcement program. And this week, this week, we are reading your responses to our September games. But before that, we are hitting your questions and prompts and talking about our topic for the episode. Yeah. And if you want to give us questions and or prompts... Hit us up at patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. About a week before these episodes get recorded, we put out a call for responses. Um, and if you have already put out a uh, question or, or a topic and it has not been covered, um, we probably, maybe not now, but soon have another catch-up episode in us, yeah, uh, especially uh, for topics. Oh uh, Yeah, topics have definitely been piling up, but uh, we got a lot of questions this past, this past week, so uh, no big deal. We will eventually yeah. get to everything. Yeah, um, I'm going to go ahead and get us started here with uh, kind of an easy but unsatisfying one. But sometimes, you know, that's the answer. Mm -hmm. uh, William says, maybe a dangerous question, but has anyone ever changed your mind about a game or piece of media that you originally thought was bad? Like not just thought it was OK, but actually thought it was bad. I find that the reverse happens a lot. I like something uh, then with time and reading more about it, I will turn sometimes completely. But I don't know if any if the opposite has ever happened to me. And I'm curious. Uh no. And I, you know, I know that's an unsatisfying answer and kind of intellectually and curious, but if I'm like, this is, you know, this is, I thought this was dumb and someone talks about it a lot. I, the best thing that can happen for me is I can understand what they like about it, but nothing has like, it's fairly untouchable. Like just kind of my initial, my initial impression, like I can change my mind about something, mm -hmm. but I cannot be told to change my mind about something and reading about somebody else liking something just teaches me that they like it. Yeah, and teaches me reasons that they do like it, and oftentimes those reasons are, uh, you know, opposed. Like the the, thing, the things that they like are just things that I don't care for. And you know, their fine. their gamer values are different than yours. Yes, you know, uh, and I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I love knowing why people like stuff that I don't like. Yes, um, you know, genuinely, but it doesn't actually change my mind. Um, mm -hmm. and it, it goes kind of for all media. And then if I really like something, and then I read about somebody who dislikes it. Every once in a while, I'll learn about something that I will, I will consider something I hadn't thought about, mm -hmm. you know, kind of unlock something. But it never takes me from like, I thought this was good to I thought this was bad. Sometimes it can put kind of a gray cloud or a silver, gray lining on a silver cloud, you yeah. know, for me. But it's never really, you know, swings my opinion. Right. Yeah. So. So easy answer. Unsatisfying answer. But it's the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a contrarian. So. <laughs> 
uh, Michael uh, asks, uh, playing Half-Life 2 and Control recently had me thinking a lot about physics in shooters. We see a lot of non-combat games like Amnesia or Portal-like games uh, play around with physics puzzles similar to Half-Life 2, while combat-focused games seem to shy away from this type of thing. Are there any other examples you can think of that incorporate Half-Life 2-style physics into a more traditional shooter? Do you think modern FPS games like the new Wolf or Doom would benefit from this? Um, I, I don't necessarily think that modern FPS games like the new Wolfenstein or Doom would benefit from it. No. Um, but I, I know that such a thing has happened. I'm having a hard time coming up with an example on the spot of a, a shooter with, with a strong physics I mean, it's not a first-person shooter, but uh, PsyOps came out a little bit after um, Half-Life 2, Mm -hmm. you know, and that leans very heavily on physics, specifically for combat, although there are some uh, crate stacking puzzle kind of things. I think the best use of physics in shooters is really for... um, environmental destruction things like that yeah you know yeah, yeah. um you know look at something like fear or black from around that same time where they took that technology and used it to be like yeah this place is going to be completely destroyed by the gunfire when you're done yeah that's really fun yeah because um, otherwise you run into kind of a uh an issue with a modality you know yeah. we talked about that in the half-life thing but just kind of like oh now it is time for a puzzle and it works in half-life partly because it's a game of the vintage and because the pacing of it is so good but it's yeah. something that i don't necessarily trust every developer to have like puzzle it's now it's physics puzzle time yeah you know in the middle of a shooter mm-hmm. and then uh what's interesting you, you know with new wolf and new doom and just kind of shooters in general is that like a lot of times shooters are shooter plus a thing yeah you know so you have wolfenstein which is shooter plus narrative mm-hmm you know, and you have Doom, which is like shooter plus like weird arcade arena yeah. thing. Like it's not a traditional shooter in the, the way we think of it with like a corridors and a narrative. It is more like you're in these arenas almost going for these combos with with the, uh, you know, the, the glory kill system. Mm-hmm. It feels, you know, like you're doing you're chaining moves almost, yeah. um, you know, and I think of physics puzzles as something you could add to that formula, but it's not necessarily like an additive thing in all situations. Mm-hmm. Agreed. No. no. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, here's one from Craig. Um, do you ever worry that there will come a point where games just aren't made for you anymore? I personally don't think it will happen. There will always likely be someone with similar sensibilities putting something out there. But I did feel that things were moving without me when MMORPGs got huge again and when Battle Royale games broke so big. Um, I don't think that I think games are too big of a pie to ever not be for anyone. I think Mm -hmm. games are for everyone and they always will be because there's so many people making games. I think that there is a a thing where mainstream or very popular games or things like that can move out of step with what you dig. And then you just have to kind of turn your attention elsewhere. Yeah, I think it's more of a um, problem of the coverage or the conversation not being for you so much anymore. Like if Mm -hmm. every single headline that you look at when you're going to read about games is about a kind of game that you don't care for, that can kind of be a bummer. But there is so much coming out that I think every month you would have something that is pretty much tailor made for you coming out in some form or another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how that, that that's how I feel. And that's been the case for me. Yeah. You know, I, the, the biggest thing that makes me worry about it is VR just because I I'm physically like, I'm not, I don't really like VR as an experience, but also I am pretty prone to motion sickness. Like it yeah. turns me into coal on the half-life boat pretty easily. <laughs> coal in the um, boat. And they, they've, uh, they've figured it out to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some things I can play. Like I played some beat saber, like a last duck stream. And it was pretty fun. It's so good. Uh, 
it was fun and I could do it. Like it didn't make me sick. Um, but that's not the only type of game I like to experience. Like a lot of the games I like to experience are really dependent on exploring 3d space, you know, and a lot of the things that they've done, like put you in a vehicle or make you teleport from point to point would not be satisfying in like an 0451, you know, where I want to be, uh, I want my avatar to be crawling through those vents and exploring all those nooks and crannies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't want that type of game to go away. I don't want to have my experience limited by VR, which is the thing I'm afraid of. Yes. Um, with that. So that's part of the reason why I've been resistant. But hey, climate change will kill me before hey. uh, that becomes a thing. Hmm. Look on the bright side. Look on the bright side. So, yeah, um, uh, this one is an easy one to me. Paul says the remake of Link's Awakening has made me think again of the moral conundrum I pondered long ago. Is it ethical to wake up the windfish? Spoilers for a 26-year-old game. The entire world is part of the windfish's dream. To escape Koholint Island and return to Hyrule, Link must wake the windfish up, but doing so destroys the entire island filled with seemingly sentient people and creatures. Yeah, wake it up. No, yeah, yeah, it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it didn't happen. Those are all Link made them up. They're not sentient. Link made them up. Right. <laughs> they, they came for, you know, or they are not Link, um, the windfish. Yeah made him up you know link is link is the only actor in that whole situation the rest of them are figments of the windfish's imagination yeah and basically and, and who's to say something won't accidentally wake up the windfish you know yeah. don't, don't 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 take the responsibility on yourself for keeping it asleep yeah there's nothing different from waking the windfish uh it's no different than closing a book after you're done with it right like yes all those characters felt really real to you and they were great characters and they're really well made but they you know they're, they're they don't they're not extant yeah so um, moving on to, uh, and you know, other people think that's obviously, you know, there's articles and stuff. Other people don't feel that same way. So I get it. <laughs> right. Someday we'll do Link's Awakening and like, but yeah, I just, I've never felt like that was a bad thing. I just felt like that was kind of a twist ending, mm-hmm. even though I do have affection for that world. Right. You know, I do think, I do think it's a really charming world and stuff. I just think that it's not less charming because it's a creation, Right. you know, and then that's also helped by the fact that I'm playing a video game. So well, guess what? Link also, <laughs> if, if it's not an immoral act for somebody to do a thing that makes Link disappear, uh, <laughs> He's, he's not real as well. He's also a character. Um, when I stop playing Breath of the Wild, it's not a crime hey, to Link. Hey, Paul, can I recommend that you never play Soma? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. He's a, a very, uh, very similar conundrum. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this, this is a tough question, but I, I thought this was interesting, so I wanted to ask it. Uh, Douglas says here, um, there's a cause embraced by the greater left that I can't get on board with, despite, despite the fact that I am furiously left wing. Uh, this is moving away from games. This is a light yeah, question. Yeah. Another way is, is there anything that you have a hard time buying that is in your wider political sphere that makes, uh, makes a priority? Um, so this is a real, I saw somebody online ask, though, it's like, what's the, what's the furthest right wing belief that you hold? Mm-hmm. And I always think, I think that's an interesting question because it, it mm-hmm. is something where like you and I, uh, are pretty left mm-hmm. and we have become more left as time has gone on. We are not. Uh, I don't think that we are quite radical left, despite like what some you know iTunes <laughs> reviews have said. Right, where it's all socialist. Like the shows are now ninety percent socialist propaganda. Yeah. Um, but there are like things where it's like, yeah, I just I I am a, a fan of and admire people who are much further left than I am, mm-hmm. and have opinions on things that I, I either can't follow them on or I just don't know enough about. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um. So I was thinking about this, and I have an answer. I don't know if you know prepared, so I can give you you know time or whatever. Um, mine is I am most the, the heavy duty leftist people I know are really like full on abolish prisons. Okay, and that, I don't that's know exactly, if I can, that's exactly what I was going yours? to say. Yeah. I don't, I, tons of reform 
Yeah. I've read things about private prisons that make me furious and make me want to go fucking strangle. Yeah. Like people who are doing this, these fucking ghouls. Like I Mm -hmm. think that there are horrible people in charge of that stuff way into reform. I cannot get on board with the idea. And I am like a huge fan of restorative justice, like more on that later. Um, But I cannot get on board with the idea that there aren't pieces that need to be taken off the board. Yes. That need to be for everybody's good separated in some way from from other people and taken special care of. Yeah. I mean, gigantic reform to the point where the system would be unrecognizable to Americans today. Um, you yes. know, and I've, I've heard very compelling arguments about completely abolishing the carceral state. And some of them are, are kind of persuasive in general, though. I end up, I, I end up thinking, but like, I don't know, there's some people who are just going to kill and that's going to be, you know, like, you know, don't, don't go looking for them where they don't exist. But yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I think that we both kind of come down at the same, the same area there. And the other one, too, being – and I just don't know about this, but is open borders. Like I don't actually know enough about it. Yeah. Like people yeah. used to try to got me all, gotcha me all the time on Curious Cat. Like, oh, so you believe in open borders? I'm like, I don't know. Like I have to read about it. I don't, <laughs> so it's like I don't know. Open borders as, as, as you define them or as I, or as I would define yeah. them or as – like I've never heard anybody on the left actually say, oh, yeah, open borders outside of you know extremely like anarchist points of view. I, yeah. I've seen it, but I, I've never. I just haven't taken the time to read into it, and right, like right. in a way that's a failing. But also, I'm. I don't think I'm being a hypocrite. Like I don't ascribe to the view because I don't know enough about it. Right, right. So, like I, I could, know. I could be persuaded to see, like, oh yeah, that that would actually that would actually be a good idea. I. I'm going to go ahead and say this is not an invitation to persuade me. Um, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, please, like, please don't Could persuade. I theoretically be persuaded? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do I want someone listening to this to persuade me either way? Yeah. Not in a million years. Yeah. Uh, am I – like I know how to Google something and research it. This is not – you know, it's not anyone's job to – to do that and try to convince people about this thing. It's just, you know, everybody's got blind spots. Right now, that is one of mine. At yeah. some point, I will, you know, possibly rectify that. But yeah. And, um, and like, this isn't so much like a, like a, like a left or right uh, style thing, but like a, um, a, a tactical uh, kind of quirk of mine when it comes to this kind of stuff. Everybody cannot be, can't, cannot care about everything 100%. Oh, yeah. You, you have your issues and you advocate for them and you fight for them. And, you know, over the course of a broader movement or a broader part of the spectrum, enough people everything will pick gets, up yeah every everything yeah. will get covered so it cannot be a gotcha that like like borders immigration blah blah, blah. like yeah. yeah like there there are parts of that that i care about tremendously um but it just that like there's so many i've got so many other pieces on the board that i'm trying to take care of right yeah it's too much too like yeah. in the big wake of kind of activism that came after 2016 mm-hmm. um one of the things i read because it became really exhausting like because all of these organizations like a lot of people were mobilized mm-hmm. including us and a lot of uh organizations were like hey th- now that we have your attention this is a huge problem and it's always been a huge problem yeah yeah and there was this huge flood of information i remember reading a thing that was like hey pick two Mm-hmm. Like as far as your money and your full attention, like, yes, you need to be worried about mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Uh, it's all important uh, to a degree. But if you're going to invest yourself and invest your money, pick two. Yeah. And I remember reading that and like in aggregate, we'll get all of them. And it's basically what you said. But I remember just reading an article about that. That was like practical sanity advice. Yeah. Yeah. In the wake of the election. You know, and the the the, the converse of that is if you're out there, let other people have let, let other people pick two. 
<laughs> yeah, it, they, oh, totally. You know, make, exactly. make, make your case and be an advocate and do whatever you need to to fill the air and move the needle on the two that you care about. But uh, that somebody chose a different two than you cannot be a disqualifier. Yeah. You cannot yep. keep them from the broader movement if they have picked a different two than you have. Yep. Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, this is kind of related. It's going down to a show question, but I figured we get the political stuff out of the way. Uh, Cthulhu Relay Fatan, uh, Flatagon, um, says, Hey guys, love what you do. I respect your approach to political issues and the way you address them. I don't always agree with your conclusions, but I understand and can get behind your reasoning. I'm sorry if you have addressed this before, but if you considered having a political show, I would definitely be a listener. Uh, um, no. I, no, and, and it's, but it's, it's not for the reasons you think. Right. You know, it's not it's literally for what we just said. Yeah. It is the amount of work and effort to feel like we are educated enough to head to have takes that we'd want to share exclusively. Yeah. Like despite what you may read on iTunes, most of our shows are not political in content by, you know, there is a, a, a you know, one percent rat feces in this uh, hot dog, <laughs> not, you know, 30 percent. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a there's a most of our shows. We feel like we talk about stuff that we know about. Mm hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, like, we replay everything like this could be, you know, our show could be like a thing where it's like we talk about a game, mm -hmm. you know, but no, we play it like right beforehand. So we can like it's very fresh. It's like yes. some, one of the things that we try to do. Um, but politics like it is is too big mm -hmm. for for me to have the the time and knowledge to dedicate the education. It's not yes. about not wanting the feedback. It's not about not feeling the conviction. It's about not having the time to be as educated on every subject as I'd want to be. Yeah. Even if I do not know enough to be confident speaking about it, I know, and I know that generally if an issue would come up on that kind of show, it would deserve the respect to have the kind of weight of research and knowledge behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would not want to treat, you know, even issues that are not in among my two, uh, you know, so lately that I would just go go out and fire off my mouth ignorantly. Um, yeah. as much as people might not think that is a concern of mine. <laughs> yeah. 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 And for the record, Cole's two issues are women's rights and yogurt when the lid has gone away and you're not hungry anymore, but you don't know how to put it away. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, um, no, no. So it's a, it would, it would just be, it would be a lot. And I feel uh, more comfortable and on better, better footing, uh, either talking about, the, you know, the pol the politics that are present in games and depiction and things like that. And generally, whatever I am bummed out about that will mm -hmm. bubble up on like abject suffering or whatever, you know, I feel I feel like it is not uh, saying too much at this point to call ourselves like professional like video game opinion havers. Yes. You know, we've been doing it long enough and we have, you know, have have, have our, our bona fides, but we are not we are amateur political opinion havers. Yes. But we're also people who exist in the world, so that stuff does leak through. Yeah, yeah. And also for as crowded as video game podcasts are, political podcasts right now are an absolute shit show. In terms of yeah. um, just uh, like, yes, there is a lot of demand, but there are so many big names doing this stuff. I listen to a great deal of political audio content. Um, I mm -hmm. don't know that I would have anything to add above and beyond, say, like the Majority Report or David Pakman or these other kind of daily shows that I listen to. So like I would say David Pakman, so, <laughs> but it was too easy to vandalize. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> so I just like I don't know if you're looking for that, like you can go and seek out see, seek out the stuff that me you know, that, that I would listen to. I don't know that I would necessarily <laughs> need to synthesize and regurgitate here, you know. <laughs> What, what a, can you imagine the nightmare that we had to watch the Democratic debates for work? 
oh, awful. I watch them. I watch them for quote fun, and I hate it. <laughs> like, My dude, I gotta stop you from doing that. Like, I've I've, I've, uh, I've dipped in and out of those things, and it made me it made my skeleton want to run away from my body so badly. Like, yeah, no, like I gotta get. Uh, <laughs> That's just repulsive. No, no, no uh, for, for for the, the for the thirty seventh time, Mister Sanders, you're yeah. going to lower costs dramatically. But what about the taxes? Yeah, and just fuck and you then, and your right wing like, framing like, CNN. Mr. Go to fucking Mr. hell, Mister Sanders. This is purely academic because we're not going to report on anything you say later, right? But you know, <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna Photoshop you out and put a tree behind that podium <laughs> in all the footage of this because nothing you say is worth considering, right? Because yeah. we definitely don't have an agenda, even though you are like a front runner right. in this we're, we're only know. going to mention you in the margins um, yeah <sighs> horrible horrible um that's another reason not to get into it is it's not even necessarily because of the feedback but also because it's so fucking bleak yeah no um, it is incredibly depressing yeah yeah um moving jumping back to, to life questions mm-hmm. uh briefly uh nicholas says uh, one thing i wanted to ask about is your relationship to each other do you treat each other as friends first and business partners second or vice versa also if you're comfortable answering have you ever had any major conflicts over the direction or other things related to the network uh yeah we're friends yeah like yeah you're one of my best friends like yeah. we're we're really close friends you're the person i talk um, to the most in the world i mean yeah same yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty crazy. If we weren't friends, this would be really difficult. Yeah. Um, I think that we are uh, blessed because those two things, as far as I know, have never majorly and very, very infrequently minorly mm-hmm. um, come into any kind of conflict. Yeah. Um, I think that we naturally uh, have a pretty good uh, fit about what direction we want to take. Yeah. Yeah. Things in. Um, so there are you know, there have been minor things here and there where we've mm-hmm. had disagreements, but never has anyone drawn a line in the sand that the other person has then drawn a, a different line in the sand. And we've had to I don't I mean, I don't think I can, you know, you can tell me if I'm no, wrong. No, I, I would contradict you if you're wrong. So. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, the uh, you know, we've never had to have somebody like totally give all their ground on anything. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, you know, and as far as like, you know, how does, how does that, like, how does the friendship kind of manifest? Like, you know, like before we even start recording, we have the green room, you know, where you just mm-hmm. talk and ask how things are going. Um, and generally, like, if, if those, if those two ideas, like, okay, friends or business partners are ever in conflict, like we treat each other as other human beings that we like, yeah. uh, like, you know, first, that is the priority, you know, to make sure, yes. to make sure that each other are taken care of. And, you know, work, work comes second to that. Yes. Um, It is different than other partnerships that I know of, you know, like you look at the uh, Mythbusters guys who hate each other. Mm -hmm. uh, And then like you're somebody like, you know, since I, you know, see tube talking, like I watch, uh, you know, Penn and Teller fool us stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm a weird kind of fan of those guys, despite their horrible politics. Mm -hmm. Um, And they talk about their relationship and they're just kind of like, not real. Like for a long time, we're not friends. Yeah. Like it was this weird, just like, business-based symbiotics thing. And one of the things they talked about on something that always stuck with me is uh, the question they get all the time is like, how has that partnership lasted so long? And they talk about it being uh, economic uh, dependence. Mm -hmm. And there is an element of that like to us, right? So like at the end of the day, you know, neither of us were successful podcasters before we got together. Mm -hmm. Um, At the end of the day, the the way that I make my living and the way you make your living is dependent on the other person. Mm-hmm. So that could be f- fallen back upon should everything else fail. And yeah. it just never has, mm-hmm. you know, so it is there though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's, we haven't had to pull that card. No, no, you know, ever. Yeah. And we're incredibly fortunate for that. 
yeah, very lucky. Yeah. So eight, yeah. eight years, buddy. Yeah, quite a while. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, uh, a third of your life, a quarter of mine. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Pretty good. Um, Pretty good. Uh, moving down here to Jack, who writes, "Hi guys, it's not a third of your life. I know you're not 24. Uh, <laughs> Hi everybody. A, I'm, I'm, I, I'm hello. I'm 24. It's actually a fifth of mine, and I just you know I am not in in my pushing 40 mindset yet. Oh yeah, yeah. So, no, I just say you just you're still uh, uh you're, you're like anybody who lived uh, between the 90s and 2000s. You are constantly dropping a decade. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, why not? Yeah, you know who, who does it hurt? Climate change. It's not gonna." <laughs> It's going to get us first. So. Yeah. Um, Jack writes, hi, guys. I'm moving into my first apartment soon, and I plan on getting a cat sometime in the next few months. I've never had a cat or taken care of a pet in, uh, on my own before. As cat lovers yourselves, do you have any advice on what to do before and after adopting a cat? Hmm. Yeah. Um, this is this is for me, and your experience might value. And I do have specific things, but I've also found that uh, for me, when you read online mm -hmm. about how to do this, most of the advice is pretty good. Yes. I'm not trying to tell somebody just like, Hey, go to Google for your, you know, you ask for personal advice, but like all the things that you'll read, um, about like keeping them in a smaller part of the house at first, uh, you know, keeping them with their box, visiting them, you know, but not giving them full reign mm -hmm. is really important. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if you're introducing another, like a separate cat, but even just for one cat, yeah. you know, do that slowly. Uh, socializing them slowly as well. Yeah. You know, like when I first got Greta, um, when she was still confined to her room, I kept her in there way too long. She was ready to come out before that. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, before I let her out of there, it was just gonna, I just arranged visits. So my brother, my niece, my mom, my stepdad, just coming mm -hmm. over and like, you know, sit in this room and give her treats and pet her, you know, let her come to you and let her get comfortable. I think that that is mm -hmm. incredibly important, especially if you're adopting them young. Yeah. Yep. And then like cat proofing is really important. Yeah. You know, like if you have uh, things that you do not want your cat to claw, like take proactive steps to protect those mm -hmm. things, you know, in advance, give your cell, give your cat good outlets for its natural urges, mm -hmm. like give it toys, give it, give it scratching posts, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and then just like patience, because there's a lot of like, you know, it took me a while to get like food that Pocket liked. So I was like scared because he wasn't really eating, yeah. you know, and he came home from the shelter with like a respiratory infection and stuff. So he just like wasn't eating, he was sleeping all the time. And I was very worried. It just took a little bit of time, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, and which the vet told me that, but it's, it's, you know, you immediately like can worry about that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so just take some time and give yourself some time with it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. There is a, uh, like you, you need fewer things for having a pet and having a cat than you would probably be inclined to believe, uh, given what you're reading. However, there is a good article that I relied on quite a bit over at the wire cutter, uh, do a search for what to buy before adopting a cat. And they they recommend good, high quality, um, things like scratching posts and litter boxes and stuff. I wish that I had followed this advice ahead of time and hadn't bought the cheaper versions of stuff. Um, because mm -hmm. I just ended up throwing that stuff away and getting the, getting the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I think, I think that is also, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I got a cheap carrier and I wish I didn't because it's falling apart now. Yeah. 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 My carrier is too small. Mm -hmm. Pocket has gotten like way too big. <laughs> he's, for so long. he's He's really long. He's turning into a long teen. There was like a little meme thing that was like all cats begin as, as small potatoes mm -hmm. and then they become long teens and then they can either become long boys or big potatoes. Uh -huh. And I've really got my finger crossed on big potato. Like I want Pocket <laughs> to get chonky as hell. Yeah. I think that I've definitely got a long boy though. Like he's, oh, he's yeah. like super slonky. <laughs> 
slonky. <laughs> like he is extremely slonky. Um, so I think that is the way. But I also, man, I went to the vet uh, uh-huh. recently. And uh, so I was looking at like cat age stuff, like their chart and asking the vet about it. So like one, you know, I've got another uh, half year, year before pockets grown. Do you know what the, the stage is before he becomes uh, an adult that he's called uh, after the he's a juvenile cat oh, now? Okay. Do you know what the next stage is called? What? They're called primes. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so he's gonna be—he's gonna become a prime, pocket prime, uh, pocket prime, dude. And then he becomes an adult. But before the the juvenile, between the juvenile and the adult stage, they're primes. It's gonna be awesome. He's gonna be a prime. And then after he, that's what I should. Thank you. That's when I can expect him to uh, to start calming down in his prime stage. Hmm. You know? <laughs> he's he's going to transform into not a nightmare to live with. He's going to transform into a, a container of hot McDonald's hotcakes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I picked up a full set of those at Comic Con. Lo- I, uh, I, I love the, that picture you took. <laughs> yeah, that's the second. I'm so happy about it, and yeah. Uh, it has one of the first sets, so I'm, I'm like only a couple away from getting all of them. Right, right. So very, very excited. Yeah, I only have a couple those. of like the, the the set from the early '90s, late '80s. I don't have the mm. the, the original ones like you have. I, I only, yeah, I only have the uh, one of the the original original ones, which is like a, a, a breakfast, like an egg McMuffin. Mm-hmm. I don't have any of the dinosaur ones. I don't like those. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like food that turns into dinosaurs is stupid. <laughs> that turns into like really angry looking robots. Yeah. The uh, the shake has is like a, a fembot. <laughs> the shake has like gigantic like DSLs and and blush. Yay! Like it's really it's really something else. Yeah. No, I've got I've got the I've got the cup that turns into the uh, that turns into the dinosaur. And when you just like mm. like the the first the like the the first move of transforming it is to like split it in half, and it just looks like it's full of pink flesh. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you just froze this uh, this container of pink slime. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, moving on to uh, show questions. Uh, here um i'm gonna do this one from uh mark Mahler. okay uh do you think you'll ever cover a fan translated game on the show i've been getting into older famicom and super famicom games that never made it to the states in the past few years and some of them seem like great wall fodder uh, sweet home live a live dark half to name a few but i remember you guys ever tackling a fan translation before is that something you'd be up for or do you think that relying on someone other than the developers for part of the experience throws too big a wrench into the mix how fucking dare you? We'd never do that. No. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mark, uh, if you check your inbox, your Patreon has been rescinded in real time. Uh, as this, no, no, no. Um, we, we covered um, Shadow Tower Abyss for the um, mm-hmm. for Bonfire Side Chat. Uh, we are not opposed to doing, to doing fan translations at all. Uh, the only reason I haven't made it more of an issue to do Sweet Home, which is a game that I enjoy quite a bit, because I know Gary doesn't care for random battles. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. Yep, I'm not super into that. Um, there are other there are other like fan translation things. Like enough people have told us, uh, you know, uh, to do Mother Three, mm-hmm. and I have that in, like a fan translated cart. Yeah, you know, is the version of that I have. Um, you know, enough people have told us that part of it is like just the kind of games that haven't come over, like you know, random battles, mm-hmm. lots yeah. of random battles. Um, you know, so that's basically part of. It. There's no principle thing, you know, thing on principle. No, no. Uh, against doing it, it just has not come up because of the the types of games. Like some of them might be very good, mm-hmm. um, but it just hasn't been a thing we've been thirsty for. Yeah, OG Clock Tower would be good to do. Um, I think uh, that's uh, that, that's a good short horror game. Um, yeah, uh, and like fan translations are legit. People do really good jobs with those. Um, yeah. You know, I don't envision a world where we don't do like retro game challenge too. You know. Oh, I would. I would do that right now. Yeah. 
like I would bump what we have for November. And do that. <laughs> okay, we're starting like, later today. Go play. Yeah, the, um, you know, and and do because we talked about that. But I would also like to do a full treatment of the first one, mm-hmm. like uh, and do that. And I'm also just kind of do for a revisit. So doing yeah, retro yeah. game challenge one and two sometime would be really fun. Yeah. Um, the uh, yeah. So yeah, no, no, nothing against doing it. It's just mm-hmm. those ones you've mentioned uh, have various reasons. Yeah. Um, let's see, uh, going to do a media question here. Jordan asks, as we are approaching October, what is a horror film you found too scary, either in concept or execution to watch or finish? Mm. Um, so this is a little bit of an embarrassing answer. I was so traumatized by watching Pet Cemetery too young, I think four oh, okay. or five years old, but I have not gone back to revisit it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pet Cemetery is spooky. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if there's a movie that I have been too scared to watch. There are games that you haven't finished because there are games I haven't finished. Like I couldn't I had to duck out of Outlast. Mm -hmm. Like I was just like the way that that handles being spooky was too much for me. Um, There's a Half-Life one mod called Afraid of Monsters. Oh, yeah. uh, That I just find too the way that's nerve wracking is just too much for me. Mm -hmm. You know, at least the time I I tried to play it. Yeah, I couldn't. Maybe now I'd be able to. But at the time, yeah. You know, could not. So there's definitely like things, you know, and then uh, the entire, you know, we talked, we've talked about Five Nights at Freddy like a bunch yeah. as a thing that we admire the execution and simplicity of, but the actual just like there's a jump scare happening at any time. Have fun. Yeah. Thing is just too much for me. Like I just don't like being, I, I'm not even against a, a well used jump scare. Like as much, you know, horror, horror aficionados like to talk shit about it as a tool in general. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. I just don't want something that that's the only trick. Mm hmm. You know, yeah, Freddy's trick. Yeah, it is. It is Freddy's trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, probably just like a couple. Like, do you want to do some lightning round and then go into the topic? Yeah, let's do that. It seems like about, <clears throat> about the timing uh, yeah. for this. Um, so again, if we didn't get to your other non-lightning round questions, again, we will do a, a catch-up mm-hmm. there. Um, I'll get started here with Pat. Um, are there any game series that you either came to late or never got to play that you wish you had tried earlier? Hmm. I mean, I wish that I had given uh, Infinity Engine games a little bit more of a chance. Um, Me too. You know, it that was... was my answer. Was like me wishing that you had given those more of a chance? <laughs> no, no. I just like I, you know, firing up. You know, but before I did them for the show, firing up the original Fallout or firing up um, Planescape Torment. Couldn't get over the uh, uh, the interface. Obviously, I've gotten around to playing all of those. You know, or mm-hmm. most of them for the show, um, and that is cool and good. But I would have liked to have um, had a uh, you know a little bit more experience with those. The, um, All those years, my, uh, I could have been enjoying Planescape and thinking about the existential ramifications, and I wasn't. Yeah, that's uh, it's yeah. it's very influential. You know, getting that in my late teens mm-hmm. as a late long teen. Um, <laughs> the uh, I my I wish that during my JRPG boom, I played better JRPGs. <laughs> like I wish that I had gotten into like their Persona games earlier on. Right. Our offsuits. Uh, the other big one is the Yakuza games, which like oh yeah, yeah we did Yakuza one, and I liked it. And then, uh, you know, I picked up Yakuza Zero and like I started it and I liked it, mm-hmm. but they're just so fucking long and there's yeah. so many of them and they're constantly getting remade yeah. and it feels like they're constantly putting them out. It, feel, it feels now, like you had you like you have to have been on the on the ride for the yeah. for the duration. Yeah. It almost feels like Counter-Strike at this point, even though it's a single player <laughs> game, just that it's so established and there's so many of them. Yeah. And I know people who look at this like huge, uh, you know, just buffet of content of hundred hour fuck around games mm-hmm. 
that have that kind of charming like writing and world and look at them and they're like, yes, I cannot wait to dig into this. Yeah. And to me, that just fills me with anxiety. Like, I'm just like, man, I'll just, I'll never have enough time to get through those. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the other big answer is I wish that I had, when I was in my, my CRPG boom, I wish I knew about the spiderweb software games. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, because I, I, the ones of those I played, I've liked a lot. Um, I have not gone deep on any of them because there, again, there are so many of them. They're so big. It feels like they come out frequently. They're getting remade all the time. It's a very similar problem, actually, just for a very different genre of game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like wasn't in the pocket for it. And now my time is more precious. Yeah. So good answers. Yakuza would be another one of mine. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and it doesn't mean I'll never play a Yakuza game. It's just like, I don't know, the constant parade of new releases and remakes is stressing me out. It's intimidating. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's hear Popo Fashosho asks, as a soft Midwestern boy myself, I was wondering if you guys have been to Portillo's. If you have, do you miss it? Uh, yes. And there's a Portillo's in downtown Portland. What? So I can get Portillo's whenever I like. Oh, cool. I didn't realize they went that far West. They do not extend this far East. Looking at Uh the, uh, looking at their website, it seems like a, like a big boy. Um, I, don't, I guess I don't. I don't know a big boy. I, I've always we drove by a big boy a lot when I was young, but I never. Mm-hmm. We never stepped foot inside. Yeah. So like the array of food that I see here is very big boy esque. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like a Portillo's. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to when I used to go back and visit, uh, like my mom and, and my family. Um, my stepdad was a big Portillo's guy, so he would oftentimes get Portillo's. Yeah. And often enough, he would give me a Portillo's gift certificate. Mm. Uh, so that's why I was thrilled to find the Portillo's in downtown Portland. Nice. Um, it was kind of a big deal when it opened up as well. What so. what what is special about Portillo's? Um, it's just uh, it's like a specific type of food that isn't. It's like somewhere between um, like a fast food restaurant and like an Applebee's. Yeah. So yeah. it's not quite like fast casual, but it's it's a, like a step up from a McDonald's or whatever or Subway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just like Italian beefs and sausages. Yeah. And stuff like it's just a food type that you don't see given that treatment very often. And they're good. Like they're good hot dogs. It's like a good Italian beef. It's a good yeah. Italian sausage. Yeah. It tastes pretty good. They've got so. uh, they're, they're very <laughs> like just on the front page. I see at least three different Chicago dogs. So, yeah, like they, they do a good job of it. And Portland is not a good hot dog town. Like there, there's not a lot of great hot dog places I found. So, yeah. you know, if I'm really craving a hot dog, Portillo's ends up actually being like a pretty good solution for that. Nice. I'm talking about like for breakfast today, I had some raspberries. So a hot dog is making me hungry and I might, that might dictate terms for me for the rest of the day. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm going to go to the downtown Portillo's, but I might have to hunt down a hot dog. No. Um, uh, Nick Phillips says, uh, easy question. If a pancake or a waffle has chocolate chips in it, do you also put syrup on it? No. Um, I put a little bit. I don't okay. use nearly as much, but I think a little butter, syrup, and chocolate is a nice combination. Yeah. But I, I go real easy. Yeah. I, I don't think that maple and chocolate taste good together. Mm. I think it's a little bit hat on a hat. Um, mm-hmm. But I will do, if it's possible, get like a little bit of whipped cream. I generally don't do like a um, like a uh, chocolate chip pancake or you waffle. Don't do a, you don't do a sweet breakfast generally. Uh, I, yeah. Generally, I have a soft spot for waffles um, mm-hmm. and for French toast. But yeah, uh, my, my, my go-to now is not really a sweet breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. No, every once in a while I feel like a sweet breakfast, but I, I actually generally don't get chocolate chip yeah, waffles yeah. or anything either. I've been real into like when places have them, a uh, a Dutch baby. Oh yeah, <laughs> gigantic. It's a it's a tall stack in one cake. Well it is, but they're they're like it's so thin. So uh-huh. it does, it is like a tall like it's just like a stack of pancakes in terms of volume, mm-hmm. but just sweetening it with powdered sugar and lemon juice as opposed to syrup and butter mm-hmm. is just really tasty. Like that's a really nice combo. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm a fan of uh, of blueberry waffles and uh and uh pancakes yeah i don't know i just like blueberries 
my, my breakfast today was some blueberries. So blueberries are good. Yeah. No. Um, this is, this is easy here. Uh, Reed asks, is, uh, what's the class or archetype that you, that you gravitate, gravitate toward in every class-based game? For me, it is, uh, usually a heavy cleric or paladin if possible. Uh, but when not there, I go for the guy with the biggest weapon. Yeah. Uh, I do a magician, uh, and if failing that, an archer. Pretty much the same, uh, caster or like a, uh, like a rogue kind of person, uh, usually because those get you into more content if it's a video game. Mm -hmm. yeah uh knackerbrode says uh what's your weirdest quirk choose one that you're comfortable telling us about <laughs> thank you for that second little bit <laughs> yes so i'll tell you something very dire until i have permission not to <laughs> um yeah i don't know like this is it is hard to say what's a quirk yeah it's uh the, the, this is a difficult one not because i feel mm -hmm. like there's an awful lot that i would be embarrassed you know to, to to divulge i don't know and like also also there's ones that like maybe i should feel bad but i don't actually feel defensive about it like i don't know i never use silverware without looking at it like real close because mm. i hate the idea of eating eating off of something that has like dried bits of food on it yeah that's a you know that's 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 good it's yeah. a good you know a good quirk um yeah i don't know like this, this is actually harder harder than i thought like you know because define quirk right yeah it takes me like two and a half hours to fall asleep Oh yeah, yes. Yeah, I know that's a quirk, but it sucks. Like I need <laughs> a lot of runway to fall asleep. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I'm a very slow eater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like yeah. the, the, those will have to be the one. Those are definitely not that weird. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll revisit this, and I'll, I'll see if I can come up with uh, something weirder. Yeah, no, but, I'll, I will, I will catalog my various sexual indiscretions. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, on sexual indiscretion cast, <laughs> we'll have uh david asks ninjas sneak into your homes and steal your cats you can enlist the aid of one character from a game you have played in the last 12 months to get them back who do you pick last 12 months yeah uh that, we did mario too in the last 12 months i would say mario he generally gets the job done mario gets the job done and also that contextualizes the kidnapping and just like not being gritty yes or whatever because <laughs> i i played that uh john wick fan game Ooh. and i was like oh john wick because and because these ninjas got to go yep. like John Wick will kill them all and they got to go yeah. uh, for doing this. Uh, but then I was also like that, you know, things don't necessarily end well for pets, you know, uh, in, in that that universe. So that might be a difficult one. Um, and then I would love to say uh, Geralt, oh, sure. uh, which yeah. also doesn't end well, but he could also get that job done. Yes. Um, and I'd feel confident in his abilities, but that's not the best last 12 months. Yeah. But I'm going to go with those answers anyway, because okay. I'm just going to cheat. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> no. um you get uh zom says you get one fictional artifact device item from any video game you need to use this item to make the world a better place uh in your vision what do you choose and how to use it can you think of anything that can go wrong um so this is different than the like yes you want the portal or gravity gun uh yeah question. yeah i i think so um but I, I don't know like it feels like portal or gravity gun would fit into this you know one fictional artifact device or item Sure, but how yeah. do you make how do you make the gravity gun make the world better? I don't know. You could go help Habitat for Humanity. <laughs> how would that go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Once Too many people have homes. Cool, they're just going to want more habitats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, sure, sure. They start with one. Ha Hello, I'm a Republican senator. Sure, they start with one habitat that they get, but then they're just going to want more habitats. Cool. Yeah, nice going to bridges, stadiums. Horny for habitats, like. <laughs> <laughs> Senator Throck Badgood in Horny for Habitats. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh. man. <laughs> oh, 
how about this? Uh, the, uh, the, the, the dagger from sands of time. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, and that, that definitely has ways that would go wrong. Like that would be end up being a genie's wish. Well, I mean, it's just specifically sure. in the second game, like you mess around enough and then like the manifestation of fate comes after you. Yeah. 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 So you just only use it when it, you know, when it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, uh, do kind of a, a cheat answer. I was trying to find a, like a duplicating device oh, from yeah, a, yeah. uh, from, from an item. I, I, you know, I guess the, uh, like the matter duplicator thing from prey, oh, yeah. you know, or the, uh, the, the matter breaker downer thing. Mm-hmm. And that could obviously go wrong. Or I was thinking the lamp from, uh, SNES is specifically Disney Aladdin, <laughs> uh, because I think that I could be trusted with the three wishes. I know everyone says that mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I could just make the good wishes. Yeah. So give them to me, to me. Yeah um let's see here we got we got two more lighting around we can we can get these uh sid sid asks what really matters your favorite cool swords in games Mm. um Mm. i'm positive that blade has been featured in a video game of some kind probably like a marvel's ultimate or something like that um blade sword that uh that uh cuts off the hand of anybody who picks up picks it up that isn't him yeah that's pretty rad yeah it's a good sword yeah um i mean just because it's fresh in my mind i'm gonna say the fume knight sword oh yeah uh extremely cool mm-hmm. uh you know there are other swords i really like uh I've, as i've gotten older the idea of the buster sword is like way less interesting to me yes um i am way more into a dark souls style giant sword mm-hmm. which is slightly less giant yeah and wielded <laughs> by someone slightly less wayfish my uh my, my, my favorite sword in real life is the dark souls 3 artorius sword uh replica mm-hmm. the, like it, it is the size of a letter opener but it is as blunt as anything b- it can be i keep it at my desk and use it as a back scratcher <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good yeah yeah now i was reading about dark souls 3 because i've been replaying it and mm-hmm. people talked about how uh fragile that thing was oh yeah so i'm glad it's it's, it's stood up to your back <laughs> but it was it's apparently been a, a tv tropes thing oh that uh that it's it's very fragile along with the badass this flask oh yeah well the badass flask just sits on a shelf it's yeah it's, it's so dumb yeah. um the, the, uh speaking of um holland says as men who love knickknacks and tchotchkes but also have feline companions how do you display them um i've had to put everything in drawers since my little fuzzball joined the family um for me it is high shelves yeah um and uh things like that so it is difficult. I had a low shelf that I had a bunch of stuff on and pocket was constantly like stealing, you know, um, amiibos to mm. like go do crimes with them. And I eventually <laughs> put those in and I said, nope, these things are going away until I can get a bigger place where I can put these up somewhere different. Yes. Uh, so I ended up actually putting away a lot of my tchotchkes, uh, mm. at least temporarily. Yeah. Um, uh, definitely high shelves as well. I, I, you know, just like in my dining room, I have three dedicated shelves that are about like mm, six or eight feet off the floor, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and I, I like I got those before I even got Greta. So, yeah, yeah I just mm-hmm. I just like having stuff up high. Um, I've got some knickknack stuff on my bookshelves, but she has shown negative no interest in getting up there. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, until that proves to be a problem, um, then, uh, you know, I'll just keep it there. It's fine. Mm hmm. Yeah. So high shelves uh, would be my uh, would be my recommendation. Yeah. High shelves. Yeah. Um, or like a like a curio cabinet that closes probably as well. That would be cool. I thought about that a lot, too, especially yeah. in my like big time action figure collecting days. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ikea, they sell a um, they sell a, a relatively inexpensive one. It's like a tall glass rectangle that has several mm-hmm. shelves. Looks like a nightmare to keep clean. Um, but mm-hmm. it would, uh, it would solve the problem of displaying stuff, um, in a relatively small footprint. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be down for that. I should yeah. should look for that, especially now that I'm like looking to acquire the McNugget buddies to celebrate their friendship at home. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, moving on to our topic. Yeah, get ready for, for a episode. bummer. Yeah, this is this is a, a big one. This is spicy. Uh, Mark Park says uh, recently a wow wave of bad behavior, to put it mildly, by game developers has been exposed. When things like this happen, does it change your opinion on the games they made? Is it hard for you to separate the art from the artist? Uh, so in a general sense, you know, I imagine that this we'll call this episode like the art from the artist or the art and the artist or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, because that is uh, basically what we want to talk about. Yeah, um, and this happens quite a bit. We've had the, uh, the 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 fortune of having a lot of information come out, and it is to the point where before I say something positive about a game, I have to do a Google search for the title or the creator and see, just yeah. append problematic and see what comes up. That, that process has been so – I find that very frustrating Yes, as a thing because the assumption that, like, yes, you have to uh, – it is on people to do their research. Yes. You know, before you say something. But just being – you know, having to say, like – I don't know if this person has been canceled. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a thing, I wish that the the onus was on the listener to assume that a endorsement of a thing is not an endorsement of the person. Yes. In a way, like, yes, it is. It is good to be aware. Mm-hmm. It's at, it, things come out at a rate and a clip that it is impossible to be aware of everything. It happened to us recently here. We talked about what was that? Uh, what was the faux two, two and a half D uh, build engine game? Not Dusk. Like that oh, was actually um, made by good, yeah, Ion good Fury. people. Ion Fury. Yeah. Like in the time between when we recorded an episode and when it came out, all of their unpleasantness happened. And like, that was a pervasive attitude across their entire studio. Yeah. Um, and kind of online and presence sucks. and stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, and it that, looked like it, a good game and I, I don't want to give them money now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we have definitely had this experience. We have enjoyed games, uh, that were created by people who bad information has come out Yes, about them, uh, before. And what to do about that, like, is a really complicated question. Um, and yeah, like, so I guess to start, like one of the things, you know, to answer the the first question of this about like, does it change your opinion? Um, something I say a lot, but it's probably worth elaborating on discussing is everyone draws their own line. Yes. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, to me, you have to check in with your feelings and if supporting the thing or not supporting the thing, if playing the thing, like mm-hmm. you've already bought it, it's not a question about money. It's not a question about promotion. Mm-hmm. You've already bought it. You know, yeah. you already have it. The damage, if, if that is can be considered damage, is done. Yes. Does it make you feel gross to do it? Does listening to Ignition Remix, which is a fucking banger song, mm-hmm. does that make you feel gross to listen to it? Right. Um, if so, don't listen to it. If not, I think it's important to be aware that, like, R. Kelly is disgusting mm-hmm. and likes to pee on little girls. Uh, but it is you are like, yep, I know that. I really like this song. That's a compromise and a dissonance I'm willing to put in my head. Mm-hmm. Because if you think that there are no compromises or dissonances in your head right now, you're lying to yourself. There are thousands of them. It's yeah. basically the human condition. <laughs> it is It is the entirety of your personality. Um, yes. it, is, it is the definition of human ex- uh, experience, which is the uh, buffer between executive function and sensory input. Yes. Yeah. You hold contradictory ideas in your head now. Yeah. Adding one is not a crime. So that is, you know, what I mean when you choose to intentionally add a contradictory idea. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I love H.P. Lovecraft. He was not a good person. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it, 
it's hard to separate the art from the artist because it bleeds into his stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in there. Yeah. And I choose to pan for gold in that shitty stream. Yes. Because I want that gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gold speaks to me on a level that is also very powerful. Yes. You know, um, and they, I am holding those two things, those dissonant things at once in my head. It's mm-hmm. not that my love of that gold is more important than racism mm-hmm. in general, but almost every, like, you know, if, if something being traced back to a shitty white dude mm-hmm. is grounds for not appreciating it, that <laughs> good, gets rid of more culture than I'm willing. Yeah. Goodbye, Tolkien. Like, goodbye, fantasy. Goodbye. Like, that, that gets rid of too many things. Mm-hmm me and it's just i'm going to make that compromise yeah so you know i'm drawing a line there you know and i think that there is a certain gravity to there, there's a certain hmm, gravity filled nihilism to that which is okay if you know the, the this is the story that i think is going to be you know is told by people who are broadly opposed to you know a characterized version of cancel culture well oh everything is bad so it's not worth caring about any of this so why are you angry at you know i can't think of a recent example why are you angry at hatred you know yeah <laughs> like or agony uh you know a, a more recent horror game that has a lot of really bad stuff in it um it's still worth caring about you, this stuff it's just you know like again you draw your own line you but it's important so like every part of you draw your own line is intentional as like every part of that sentence is important right yeah, yeah. so in that what you're referring to is the verb of draw like mm-hmm. you have to do it yeah like you have to actually draw the line it's worth considering and that is the responsibility that you have yeah. um you know there is a temptation in in people to if you can't help everyone don't help anyone yes yeah you know as a thing and in that case it's like well if everything is problematic either cancel everything or don't care about anything Mm -hmm. no like the the work of being a responsible and thoughtful consumer is that you do consider these things it's just you know so but it's a consideration Mm -hmm. it's like you think about it you make the decision based on that the other part of that sentence that's very important is you draw your own Mm -hmm. you know because i personally don't have a lot of like like I get irritated by people making that decision for other people. It, it really, I think that it is not helpful. Yes. Um, kind of in the extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you know, nobody is going to, you're not going to change anything or make anybody a better person by being like, I can't believe you played and enjoyed postal. Right. You know, they, maybe they have done the work that we're talking about and are like, yep, I know that this is a nihilistic and sexist shitty game. It just came out at the right time, and I just really love it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I love, uh, like I love Duke Nukem 3D. Yeah, I love that game. Like he's not a good character in that game. You go up to strippers and then like give them money to to shake their weird digitits <laughs> at you, and then uh, sometimes they get blown up by aliens and stuff. Yeah, and then yeah. and later in the franchise, like we did Duke Nukem Forever for the Outer Suffering. It's one of the most sexist games I've ever played. Yeah, uh, I don't like that. Duke Nukem 3D, I love. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that game. It came at me at the right time. It does so many things I think are very cool. I choose to hold that dissonance in my head. I don't have a lot of patience for somebody who's like, I can't believe you support that game or I can't believe you like that game. Right. For something like something that's not active. You know, I've made the decision, Mm -hmm. you know, but I've also I'm not going to play Iron Fury. I don't want to give those guys money. No, like they've they've, you know, and and they've doubled down on it. Uh, they've chosen not to make changes that they had a chance they like that they had a chance to actually respond to it and all they did was make it worse 
So, yeah, sorry. Like you, you, you kind of made your choice, you know, if, yep. and if it, if it came down to like, I don't know, I, I feel like I'm going to die if I don't play this game, guess who's getting a whole bunch of money from the, you know, like, I guess who's going to get a, get a whole bunch of money the like the Trevor project, the human yeah, rights you campaign. Can, you can, like you know? moral offsets are part of the ludicrousness of living in a world where it, I don't, I, you know, it, it's a fallacy to say this hap- is happening more now. We're mm-hmm. just learning about it more. Yeah, no. I truly believe this has always happened. Yes, like it's not like sex pests are new, mm-hmm. right? Like they have always been a thing. We just learn about it now. Yeah, uh, with frequency. So making those kind of like if you know if it's like hey I'm going to get this game but I'm gonna um, I'm going to steal it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give them money, or I'm going to get this game but I'm also going to give money to the Trevor Project or something. If that's how you draw your own line, I don't think there's anything that's wrong with that Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be anyone like someone can be like i'm not going to do that that's super cool like cyberpunk is coming out Mm -hmm. i'm gonna play the fuck out of that game yeah like i you know that is to my shit Mm -hmm. to to avoid and i will buy myself a moral offset yeah for it you know i don't like how they uh treat their workers um the social media team at that company is shitty and transphobic i care a lot about trans issues i don't like it just puts me in a spot mm-hmm. and it's not that playing a fun video game is more important to me than supporting this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do both. It, it is not it, an either or. Thing it, is to a, me. it is a really, really strange calculus because, you know, you have to, you know, ask yourself how much harm is actually being done and how much would I just be saving myself some hassle by not addressing this at all, by not playing this yeah. game, by not talking about it. You know, the, the, the examples that you gave, um, you know, Duke Nukem, et cetera, like that or postal, that's objectionable, objectionable content. You know, there are objectionable creators who make games. I love Rim, yes. Rim, Rim World, right. Um, yeah. you know, like that, that is a really, really good survival sim um you know like we were going to be doing a stream to support trans stuff and somebody said hey might not be a good idea uh because you know that like look up this creator's treatment and attitudes about bisexuality and things like that like ooh, uh oh no good and like it's been hard for me to play that ever since you know yeah because like i get super on edge looking for places where that where the like the bad attitudes seep into the actual work itself you know and and you have to and that's where it like it feels bad for you yeah you know so of course you shouldn't Mm -hmm. do it and the person who said like hey maybe don't do that for the stream totally yeah (laughs) like we don't want to send that message in the stream no especially accidentally (laughs) one thousand percent right But like one of the things, too, that I think about a lot and it uh, came up with RimWorld and then also came uh, comes up with cyberpunk, right? Like specifically aspects of cyberpunk. No one in the world is going to bat for CD Projekt Red's like social media team, like ever, right? But they had an ad that was like for a soda in the world is like take a walk on the wild side. Mm -hmm. And it had a, uh, you know, a feminine presenting uh, person with a, a clear penis, uh, and a lot of people are like, this is beyond the pale. This is super transphobic. And then reading like online and like reading different, uh, trans people's reactions to it. You know, I'm not making a reaction for anyone. I'm just learning, mm-hmm. you know? And one of the dangers I think that you can fall into or that people can fall into is treating any oppressed people as a monoculture. Right. Right. Because a bunch you know, I read takes that didn't like it. I read takes that were like, I don't actually see a problem with this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't actually think this is a problem. Yeah. Uh, same thing with the way that they're not having a gender selector. They're doing it as a slider. Yes. Like, basically. Um, I've seen people who are like, oh, like, I can't believe that they're doing this. And I've seen other people be like, no, like, where else are you going to get that level of granularity in a game this big? Right. Like, no game has ever done this. Yeah. Sandra 2 was level. praised for having that. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, and this is bigger. This is a huge game, like one of those widely anticipated, you know, games. Uh, so there's an element where people are like, they've drawn their line. They're mm-hmm. not going to give this developer the benefit of the doubt for anything. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, but don't, it is not inherently to play this game that has, you know, specifically in the issues of that slider and the ad, right? Like mm-hmm. their social media team, I think is pretty hard to defend and I wouldn't defend them. I think they're hor- horrible. Yeah. But those specific things, like if you're like, Play, supporting this game is supporting these transphobic attitudes. Like, not every single person who is trans thinks those are transphobic. Mm-hmm. Like, and I just, that's been from my reading, like, yeah. of, of looking yeah. through it. Like, some people don't have a problem with that. They're yeah. like, actually, this is kind of cool. This is good. And I'm like, well, it's not really for me to decide. I'm not a trans person. Right. I'm a cis person. I have to draw my own line of what I'm comfortable with, but it doesn't have to be that line doesn't have to immediately turn into this is a strike against my allyship or my actual this cause that I like care about a lot. Right. You know, because it is it is not a mono response. It is not mm-hmm. a monocultural response. It's not. Um, additionally, no. you know, lots and lots of people work on that stuff. That's that's a big thing that I think that, about like a lot. Actually, uh, it's, it's a lot. Is it worth punishing the entire team because of this one part that that, that, that bubbled up? You know, like how much how much evidence is necessary for the entire tree to be considered poison. And I I think that that is, you know, not exaggerated is probably the wrong word because I want to believe people's takes, especially um, when they, when they come from a genuine heartfelt uh, place. Yeah. Let me put an asterisk real real quick and just say that we're not being prescriptive in any of this. No, no. We're we're talking about what we think Mm -hmm. and how we approach this stuff because that's the question. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, you know, so when you say you want to respect heartfelt takes, Please do not read any of this as us saying, like, somebody who's like, I can't support this company. It makes me feel like dog shit. We're not saying that you're bad. No, no. In any way. So just, so please continue. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I just, so what I, what I was basically, the sentence I was hedging around is, I think that the percentage of the tree that is poison, uh, that makes it so that any fruit that comes off of it is not worth, it basically, that any fruit that comes off of it is disqualified, um, it gets shrunken a lot it is exaggerated like okay first sign dump it dump it all out because we saw this one thing i it's not how i want to approach it you know so i think about you know we we talk i've used this example a bunch but as he's sorry having a super shitty date and being an awful creep right um a bunch of people are like oh man fuck parks and rec like parks and rec was made you know with a like a, a lot, you know, a good number of minorities on the cast, a good number of ladies on the ta- cast and writing team. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not a a show where all of those people need to be, uh, you know, punished in my right. mind for this one person doing that. The, the thing is bigger than that, you know. So for me, that that's the line. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then obviously that doesn't apply to somebody like, like Lovecraft where it's like, that's basically him. There's mm-hmm. not a whole company. Right. So right. he is the tree, yep. you know? And I think if Lovecraft was alive right now, I would not support him at all. No, he would be, yeah. 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 He would be, it'd be, you know, or, you know, it depends. Like there's some evidence that he has changed some of his, you know, beliefs as his life went on, mm-hmm. which is like the other thing that I think is important to talk about this. Yeah. Get to that. We should, you know, in a moment. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, you know, I think that he has, he has changed his belief, so I don't know if he'd be there. But that's different than this one actor on this one show. And that's different than saying, like, hey, I can't watch the show without thinking about that mm-hmm. that piece. And it makes me sick to watch it. Yeah. That's that's no, fine. Like, that, nobody – no one's pressuring you to like, continue with it. Mm-hmm. But the idea that it is a moral impar- – a universal moral imperative to not watch it mm-hmm. because of that one poison branch I think is something to be interrogated Yeah, a little yeah. bit. 
and this is all complicated. I'm just I, uh, I'm just making an observation about the way this works. This is all complicated when consumption is performance. Yes, I'm speaking in very broad terms here, and this is not this is not just about us as people who play games and talk about them and proffer opinions either on shows or on Twitter and stuff. You just see people who you know are playing a game on Steam or you know tweet about a game and get responded you know get responded to with all of this stuff over and over again. I can't believe you're doing this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like it has gone from criticizing the thing to criticizing the performance of the consumption of it, and that like yeah. is it just it feels. A little bit too hall of mirrors for me to actually be yeah. constructive yeah it's it's you know give them a uh, a bit of like informing somebody like hey i don't know if you knew this yeah yeah but this this is uh the, the studio did this mm-hmm. good you know like maybe they don't know it mm-hmm. uh but then when if they do know it give them the credit possibly for doing that work and choosing to take an additional dissonance into their head yeah because we all do that and you know and me and i say we all do it like Maybe not everyone does it in terms of media. I'm sure that there are people who it is a, uh, a one strike, it's out mm-hmm. thing. And there's so much media out there. You can, I could, if I never played anything I knew was problematic in for the rest of my life, uh, I could still play v- great video games mm-hmm. and never run out. And yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Like and that is a fine choice to make. I have no problem with that choice. It is, it feels more complicated than that to me. Mm-hmm. And I choose not to approach it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as far um, as like the feeling icky, you know, like I, I, I don't know that I can, you know, play this or consume this or listen to this if I know something bad that the person did. Well, that's just it's a matter of time, you know, like yeah. when the stuff is still in the headlines, you know, it's probably like for me, I, I love the Night in the Woods soundtrack. It's hard for me to listen to that. Me, me too. I, I, I love that soundtrack. And that situation is actually like I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, one, you know, I think that some people who are listening to this might be surprised that we are not coming out more swinging in favor of cancel culture, yeah. so to speak. Um, I'm not against cancel culture at all. Like, I think it's really important to know this shit. Yeah. I no. just also think like, you know, and I think about that thing with with uh, Alex Hualka, Um and uh, I want to just roundly, you know, condemn and say like, yeah, all of the the harassment that the the victims and stuff are getting that are absolutely horseshit, uncalled mm-hmm. for monsterism. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is it is absolutely horrible that Zoe Quinn went and said these things, and then now people are saying like you're a murderer. Be, if you think that, like that is a monstrous thing to think. Yeah, Con- it is. Re- reconsider yeah. that position, please. Please reconsider that position. It's okay though for us who liked Night in the Woods, and you know specifically, like we had slightly different experiences of the game in general, but both love the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. To still like wrestle with our feelings of loving the soundtrack yeah. of it. You know, that's what we're talking about here. We're not excusing Alex Hawaka's behavior mm-hmm. and we're not saying uh, that anyone was wrong to air it. Right. They were right. right to air it. It's good to know, right? Like mm-hmm. one of the things that goes around in this discussion is talking about a broken step. Like, you know, bro- warning you. Hit, hit that again. Broken step. What's that? A broken step. So that's uh, when. Uh, Somebody, you know, you're warning somebody about a broken step on a stairs Okay. when you, when you do this. So mm-hmm. somebody coming forth to be like, I had this experience is telling everyone else in yeah. the, you know, who might work with that person, Hey, skip that step. Yeah. Cause you might trip. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I think yeah. that's important, vital work. And specifically that work of, you know, basically stating your case and airing what happened to you and warning people about this person who has hurt a lot of people, you know, that is more important than my personal enjoyment, than my uncomplicated enjoyment of a, of a, of a game. 
Of course, it's super it's super important. I would not say that person shouldn't talk because it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. But the other difference that's inherent in that is the practical effect mm-hmm. of that, um, which is, hey, other people might work with this person and get genuinely harmed. Right. You know, so when we're talking about it as a consumer of art, we have a different relationship or danger from Alex Hawalka than a developer who might work with him yeah. would. Right. So to to us, like us having to make those considerations and stuff, mm-hmm. that's part of the price of being a, a thoughtful consumer of media. Mm-hmm. Lay that on me. That's I that's why I signed up for by liking stuff. And, you know, by 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 expressing my opinions about these issues. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I'm happy to do it. Yeah. Happy to consider that, you know, Um it's just different than warning people off. Yeah. So it is absolutely an unmitigated good when this stuff comes to light. Yes. Like it is good for the world, even if it makes us uncomfortable and have to ask ourselves difficult questions. Mm-hmm. It is good. In this that specific situation, like just so no one comes away from this and being like, oh, I can't believe Gary and Cole were saying it's good that this guy committed suicide. No, we're not. Fuck no. That's horrible. Like that goes into the second part of this, which is like what I talk about is that like I think that there is – room for people to you know we, we talked about ion fury right yeah those guys got called out immediately doubled down on it and said no this is our culture it'd be censorship to change it mm-hmm. that fucking sucks uh it is possible to have this kind of thing happen and be like yeah boy i didn't realize that we fucked that up fucking suck i fucked up it's time for therapy it's time to learn how i fucked up how it, can i make this better it's what time is, to what step is... away and come back when i'm ready yeah what does restorative justice look like yeah. in this situation? And one of the reasons I think people forget that that is a, a, a thing that can happen is because almost no one ever does it. Oh, of course. Um, you know, Aziz Ansari takes a long break and then goes back with like a Netflix thing that's about, tri- you know, triggered or whatever. Louis C.K. Yeah. goes comes goes away for a little bit, comes back and starts doing material about his dick like yeah. immediately, like no changes. Mm-hmm. No one ever does it. But in a perfect world the end result of something like this would not be just to warn people of a broken step, which is extremely mm-hmm. important, absolutely a thousand percent vital, but also would be like, Hey, what is, and it's not the victim's responsibility to give the the perpetrator, uh, their response, the ability to do this. It's something the perpetrator should take from it mm-hmm. is, Hey, I can reflect and improve based on this. What does restorative justice look like? Yes. What it would be the non-punitive way of this. Like, yes, this feels like a punishment. I feel punished. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I, I am not happy right now. This is having a bad effect on me. What would it look like to actually try to make this better? Yeah. And if that is fixing yourself, you know, and going to, you know, going to therapy, reflecting on what you did wrong, et cetera. If that is uh, putting like literally putting resources, mm-hmm. you know, if that's changing your company policies, uh, if that is, you know, doing what you can to ensure this doesn't happen to other people. You know, what does it look like to actually change as a person? Because like one of the threads about this and one of the things that made me really sad about the the Alex Hawalka thing specifically is his sister who came out and said like, hey, you know, all this abuse is correct. This is all horrible. Like my brother, who I loved very much, has been doing some work to try to fix this. Yeah. It doesn't excuse him. No one is saying that he's excused. No one's saying that he's not a piece of shit. No one is saying it's all better now. I I want to live in a world where somebody can make a mistake and learn from it. Yeah. And almost no one does it. Mm -hmm. Like it's so fucking rare that it happens that like a company or a person changes in the response to this stuff. It's they go on Netflix and they get a a special called triggered Mm -hmm. and they double down. But I I want it. I really want to live in a world where it is possible that somebody could get called out by this stuff and be like, hey, you know, 
I am truly sorry. Like I am, I am really, really sorry. Here's my understanding of what I did wrong. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm doing to fix it. What can I do to like, is there anything that I can do to help restore this damage that I've done. Understanding that not all of it can be made good. And yeah, the, the, the victim at that point yeah, has no responsibility to right. give you an answer to that. Right. But to try or to say like, I'm going to try to make this better, like to take it as an opportunity to learn, I think is really important. Yeah. You know, because it's, uh, any, everyone listening to this, myself included, and you have done shitty things. Yep. Right. Like I have done shitty things, not on the, the level that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I've certainly grown as a person though. Like, I spent like a bunch of my, like I was not good with women when I was a teen, not in a sex past way, but in a sexist way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was a homophobic teen as was the style at the time, not to excuse myself, but I was, mm -hmm. uh, it took me a long time to like understand, uh, trans issues, you know, yeah. to the degree that I understand it now. Like I'm not an expert. I don't get it. I'm not, but to understand it at all. Mm -hmm. And have that sympathy. It took some time, yeah. right? Like it, it took me a little bit. And I guarantee that if there were, if I was doing the podcast when I was in my, you know, late teens, mm -hmm. I would have said some horse shit yeah. that was that belied a smaller and worse mind. Yeah. And somebody could say, hey, I can't believe Gary Butterfield said this. Mm -hmm. And they'd be right. And I want, because I have worked on myself. I'm not perfect. I have tons of work to do. I will never not have work to do. Yeah. But I, I want that to be the like the ontological truth of the world that you can work on yourself yeah. and try to improve. And uh, the question that comes to me is more about people who say shitty things than anybody who's an actual like straight up abuser. I'm not trying to be an apologist for the uh, for, for the former, but how much is it on the public, uh, the public at large, to allow room for? them to grow right you know rather than just kind of shutting them down every time they show up and if if that's the price if that's the 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 albatross they wear mm -hmm. you know for doing the bad thing yeah it's not for us up to us to decide that they don't wear that yeah i think it is up to people to decide whether they want to put that on them yeah you know if they're making a good faith effort right mm -hmm. like i'm not going to buy ion fury i was excited to play it. I'm not going to buy that game. Mm -hmm. Um, they have like doubled down on it. Yeah. Uh, I am going to buy cyberpunk. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the social media team does not give me tons of confidence in the company at large. Mm -hmm. I don't reduce the game down to their social media guy who is a, you know, a prick or a team or anyone who approves that I'm sure is actually like incredibly shitty. I don't think the whole game is that. Mm -hmm. And they have talked about like them doing that gender slider thing, mm -hmm. right? Like to me, that shows like at least an attempt at growth, even if it's clumsy and shitty yeah. enough to where I'm like, well, I'll get that thing, yeah. you know? And I think about if, like an individual person, if a, if a person is like, did a thing and they're just like, yeah, you know, I'm sorry I did it. Uh, you know, I, this, these are the steps I'm taking. This is the real apology. This mm -hmm. is, what I'm doing, like, I am willing to say there is room for growth, Yeah, you know, and and people can can try to fix. I'm not saying the victims have to do that. I'm not saying no. people who are personally affected or triggered no. by that kind of thing or it relates to their own trauma have to do that. I'm not saying people have to immediately go out and work with that person. Right. You know, uh, but I think kind of like ontologically, like there there should be space for that. Yeah. Philosophically, I think there should be space for that. I can only speak personally about this, but. I, I cannot live. I cannot accept an existence personally where growth isn't possible, where mm -hmm. the, you know, <laughs> where it uh, uh, is impossible to at least try and get better or move into a different direction. 
I, I feel suffocated at the idea of being locked into a place where the only right next move is to have never messed up in the first I've place. Never messed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, very, and, that's, and that is, yeah. that, that's, that's what I see a lot of this boiling down to. And again, I do not mean to sound like an apologist for anybody who has done these horrible things. I hope that, I hope that the body of our work and the body of our criticism has, you know, revealed that like, I am 100% with the victims, you know, Yes. but everybody still has to live yeah, after, yeah, yeah. after this. And, you know, I, I just, it is, it is hard for me. I I guess like empathetically to 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 accept that just like yeah just you know hey everybody's damned no matter what because if if if, if that is the case um what what's what what's the project you know yeah like, yeah we're like where 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 does where where do any of us go you know whenever any of this you know happens and and again it is up to the individual to be like hey this is unforgivable to me I'm not going to listen to that soundtrack yeah. You know, and that's okay. Like your relationship as a consumer is different than the kind of like ethics or morals of the, you know, the personhood yeah. of any of the people. And I so much, you know, the, uh, another thing, you know, in addition to the broken step, another like kind of parable about this or line of thinking that I really agree with that goes around is, Hey, don't mourn, you know, if somebody gets called out, don't mourn the games that they're not going to make now because they've been called out Mourn the games and the, the creation and the stuff of the people who were didn't make stuff because they're and I totally agree with that. Yeah, 100 percent at the 100 percent like that is I hate that it makes me feel sick mm -hmm. like it, it's it's super sad. But when you said like you have to live like you have to live, mm -hmm. you know, people time still moves on. Yeah. People still do, do you, do you uh, still people. get to live and do and do this thing in this industry? Yeah. yeah, and maybe and maybe that takes and to get that to earn that back takes a lot. Yeah, you know, um, I we're not saying when we say that we're not uh, letting you know perpetrators off the hook. The thing we're talking about, this kind of restorative justice or self improvement, takes work that we never see. Yeah. So it's like it's even it's extremely hard for me to even think of examples, mm -hmm. right? Like if somebody's just like done the work. Yeah. But. I just I need to feel in order to feel okay existing in a world I have to believe that the work is possible. Yeah. You know. So it's not that I, you know, and I'm so I'm incredibly sympathetic to the victims and the people who have lost opportunities because of any of this stuff. I think that's horrible. Mm -hmm. But if the like you said, like if the only thing to do is to have not done it, like the past is quarantine. Mm -hmm. You know, there is no way to do anything with that. Yeah. And I want to exist in a world where there are problems that can be solved, Yeah, you know, and, uh, or at least done, you do the best you can mm -hmm. with it. And, and again, can't say this enough. None of that effort or burden should be put on the victim. Right. I mean, you just, you just have to hold a lot in your head and you have to have, yeah, you have to have a lot of basic first principles. And it seems it just, it, it, it feels weird to me that these two statements that are, are, are at odds victims should be believed when they open up and go to great risk to testify to you and to the public, to warn colleagues and warn peers about, um, probably, you know, pr problematic behavior, right. Things that are mm -hmm. objective dangers, um, that is in tension with it, it should be possible to solve problems. And it is really hard not to round, yeah. you know, either or both of those things into all the way up or all the way down. And that's mm -hmm. what you see. Yeah. Um, a lot of, and that's really depressing. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish that was not the case. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, a, it, it sucks because it has been, we're going through a moment mm -hmm. now. And when I say it sucks, it's not like, oh, it's hard for me, the, the cis white male who's not going through anything. No, <laughs> I'm not placing that, that hardness above anybody who 
dealt with any uh, actual abuse or anyone who has a closer relationship to that abuse. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that hardness is worse. And I'm also not saying that the hardness that the, the person who is called out their experience of getting called out or their experience of doing that work is worse. Yeah. It's not comparative. I can have room in my, in my mind and my heart for a lot of worse you know, yeah. a lot of bad things, several degrees of awful, you know, and I just I, I really, you know, in restorative justice thing applies to, you know, we, we answer that question about like what leftist beliefs can we not always get on board with. And it's like I, you know, in terms of like prison and stuff like that, in terms of any kind of like transgression and punishment in a general sense, like mm-hmm. I am very into the idea of, OK, you know, the past is quarantine. Do we learn from this? Do we improve? Do we do the work to get better at this? How do we do as much? undo as much of the damage as possible, make things as better as you possibly can yeah. is really important to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, what a fun bummer. I know, right? My question is, <laughs> <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate being asked it and yeah. it's, it would be weird at some point if we never talked about it because mm-hmm. uh, it is such a thing mm-hmm. going on right now. But it is, uh, that's, that is the complicated place that I think that we we fall down on it to the question asker saying like, Hey, how do you deal with that? You know, it, it is, it, it is different depending on if you are speaking just for yourself or if you're talking about, you know, critical analysis, I think, you know, it goes back to everybody draws their own line. And the, the answer is it's lots of work and it's really complicated and it's case by case. Yep. And it's yep. not going to feel good. And, you know, I think that, I don't know, um, approaching, uh, approaching any artistic work, uh, completely lightly with no baggage, no encumbrance. Um, that is a luxury. And that has kind of you know, if, if we were ever able to do that in the past, that was possibly, um, that, that, that was either a luxury or an illusion, but it was never, um, tenable in the long term. Um, and that is, uh, that is okay. Yeah. Like it is, it is, that is a privilege to mm-hmm. not think about that. It's a privilege that, uh, you maybe you don't like you you can choose to have that you'll be a better person if you choose not to have it mm-hmm. and actually do the work of thinking about it it is uh difficult but it is not too difficult and it is a good price of admission yeah so yeah let's uh move on to responses let's do it to september's games yeah um, so we're going to get started here with Gunstar Heroes and mm-hmm. Jerry Khan the uh, person who uh, requested this game i believe is that right Gary Ah uh, yes. Okay, cool. Um, they write in uh, via contact. Thanks for covering Gunstar Heroes. It's a game that's very special and important to me, and I think you did a great job. You had some interesting and valid criticisms, though I'd disagree with the idea that the latter half isn't as strong. I do think that this game hits its nadir at stage five, the extremely boring city stage, uh, but has absolutely rebounded by the time the final stage comes along. But really, the reason why I requested Gunstar Heroes um, is because when I think of it, I overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly think of things I love. 16 unique weapon combinations that act as a kind of sub-difficulty setting. Uh, some make the game easier than others, uh, but they're all unique, useful, and satisfying. Big, bright, and inventive bosses and cute, well-animated, and funny minions. Uh, the sleeper car on the, str- on the train uh, and seeing the minions cling to the exploding engine car. Seeing bombs rain down on me and not just avoiding them, but 
by throwing them back at the jetpack enemies above me. The Amazing Seven Force, the reason to play it on hard so you can see all seven, and Endlessly Inventive Dice Palace, which incidentally is even more fun in two-player since there are since there are no set turns. Players can fight over the dice, and landing on the uh, landing on the uh, the way back uh, is not so bad because the other player can still finish the board and have uh, and have both players proceed. Uh, so without going on too long, I'll conclude that for me, when I think of true classics, Gunstar Heroes is right up there, sharing my personal top spot with A Link to the Past. It was a stunning first effort from a studio that would go on to be one of my favorite developers, and in my opinion, remains a must-play to this day. Uh, thanks again for covering it, and congratulations on the big 250. Thanks. Thanks, Jerry Con, and thanks for requesting it. It was really fun to revisit. Yeah. Like uh, yeah, I like that game a lot. I would love to. I am. Uh, I'm sure I played it two players once when I was younger, but I didn't this time. And mm -hmm. if I played when I was younger, I don't think I got to the dice palace. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah, might be fun to do a duck stream. Not to tell you what to do, yeah. but you know, yeah, that's, filling, a, that's a good idea. Time. Yeah, that's a good idea. Moving on to responses uh, to Fire Emblem: The Sacred Stones. Um, a couple of people wrote in about the same thing, so we kind of chopped and screwed their responses, uh, kind of taking out little bits of it, even though they came from multiple people. Uh, so it's going to be sound a little weird, but we're going to uh, basically hit the same different parts of the same point with different people. Right. Uh, so Trevor uh, starts, Viva Contact. Something I learned about Fire Emblem back in the day is that starting around the sixth game, the hit percentages are actually lies. When the game displays a 90% hit chance, two random numbers are generated and the average is taken. This is then used to determine if the attack hits or not. This has the effect of ensuring that the hit percentages above 50% hit more often than the number suggests, and the hit percentages below 50% hit less often. It's subtle, but it means that your 90% hit chance actually becomes 98%, and the 30% chance only becomes 18 If you look up true hit, uh, that's capitalized, so it's proper noun, you can find the actual calculations being done on the back end. It's pretty neat. Um, and then Mitchell writes in with some more context around this uh, via contact. Uh, a lot of video games do this sort of invisible tuning that makes uh, that makes the game easier without letting the player onto it. For example, in Bioshock, when you're shot from behind, enemies are programmed to always miss, so there's a chance for you to turn on them. In Assassin's Creed, your last health block actually contains way more HP than the other health blocks to make dramatic low-health fights happen more often. I've never played a Fire Emblem game, but this was such a neat trick that I thought I would share. Thank you, Mitchell. Mm -hmm. uh, Andrew rounds us out with uh, things on this topic by saying, uh, when it comes to other turn-based strategy games, to what extent should the developer ensure the inf inferred results, I don't miss when I have a 95% chance, uh, chance to hit because ones don't exist in my D20, occur? To what extent should a tactics game contain black boxes of information? I'm quite sorry if this question is newsly, but I just keep thinking about it after missing another 95% chance in XCOM. Cut as much of this as you like. Keep up the great content. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was hilarious going because three people wrote about it right in a row. And I was like, huh, OK, that's interesting. You and guys are all hanging out in the same coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. The second person, you guys mentioned how, fa how fair the, the, the percentages are. Actually, not the case. <laughs> it's like the yeah. three in a row, like, whoa, OK. Yeah, no, I just say it's uh, like all three of them have worthwhile stuff in it. So I wanted to uh, I wanted to bring them to the fore. It, it's interesting that first one, the Trevor point, because that feels more fair. Yeah. You know, it ties directly to what Andrew's saying, because 95% feels like a relatively sure thing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't often roll natural 20s, um, you know, and doing that average thing makes it feel more like it's it's what, you know, and th th that kind of like illusion, yeah, you know, creating yeah. the feeling is, is more important than accuracy. Agreed. A lot of the time. And I feel like XCOM, and I don't actually I haven't done the deep dive into that. Like we haven't had an XCOM episode yet. I would mm -hmm. love to at some point. Yeah. Um, 
know if it is because it does feel like you miss a disproportionate number of 95%. I don't know if that does stuff the other way. Yeah. In that. Um, what do we, what do we think about this as a, uh, as a mechanic, I guess. I'm fine with it. Whatever, yeah. whatever they do, you know, like, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit, uh, not truth in advertising. Uh, but if the result is something favorable, that leads to it being more fun. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's all for the good, you know, to, to my mind, you know, again, how you show a number has a lot to do with how, like psychologically, how it's going to make you feel, yeah. um, you know, and like, for to to me, like the preference would be instead of saying like, oh, you you have a ninety five percent chance to hit, saying hey, you have a one in twenty percent chance to miss. Would, yeah, would, would like give like if you were just portraying the odds exactly as they ought to be, like that would be the way that I would prefer them to do it. Uh, because yeah. because that to me, like okay, one one in twenty, that's you know, like that 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 seems as likely as it is. If that feels truer to the you know to the actual outcome than ninety five percent. You know, yeah. Possibly because I don't know. Whenever I see a percent, I think about grades. Sure. <laughs> you know, um, and you like a, there's a constricted range. I'm sure there's a, like a name for that phenomenon, but uh, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't have any problem with the way that uh, Fire Emblem does this. I uh, like those little hacks that are yeah. mentioned. There's actually um, the one I learned about Half Life Two, and if this is a response later, I apologize, but I didn't realize this until someone in the Slack was mentioning that the uh, blackhead crabs can't actually kill you. Oh, yeah. yep. uh, they only do a percentage. I don't think we talked about that, mm-hmm. um, but that gives you the feeling of panic without actually being in danger. Love it. Um, you know, similar to like when we were talking about the boat chase and how you almost never get hit. Like you do the entire boat chase and you've taken three damage. Yeah. Uh, even though you're constantly being fired upon, it's, you know, obviously the craft is being programmed to miss. I uh, love that stuff in a tactics game. If it is 95% and it's a real 95% straight roll, I have no problem with that. I don't yeah. think there's like a, a game design imperative to, to fudge those odds. Mm-hmm. I do think, even though I love XCOM, I really am looking forward to covering it at some point. Um, I do, you know, the feeling of missing pretty consistently with 95% in XCOM mm-hmm. can feel pretty bad. But I mean, I think if you're going like, to that, that's just a cognitive, a cognitive bias. That's, that, that's, that, that's negativity bias. Like it, it, like you're only going to remember the times that you miss at 95%. Yeah. I like everyone has that experience. I haven't looked at like, it, 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 like, happen, it happens with everybody uh, on even stuff outside of outside of XCOM. Well, I mean, cool. Like, I know about the negativity bias. Like, okay. it's it's not you know you're educating me about that thing, but in XCOM specifically, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's actually like a straight roll or not. Yeah, I don't is know. what I'm saying. Yeah, so I, that's that's what I'm, I'm talking yeah. about. Like, if it is a thing where it is, it is being if it's not a straight roll yeah. i don't like that if if you're going to fudge it mm-hmm. budget in favor of the player not against them yeah sorry i over explained negativity bias yeah no it's okay yeah I, i'm i'm familiar with the uh like i don't subscribe to the atheist gamer on youtube <laughs> i know about all the bias like all the logical fallacies whole. um the uh, yeah so it's, the it's interesting uh, stuff <laughs> it is it is interesting stuff like i i definitely understand uh that thing i just don't know that it's true for everything because the right, idea right. is introduced in this that the the they can make round things in favor of the player. I can also imagine them rounding it against them as well mm-hmm. with the same intentions of like creating drama, Yeah, you know, because those misses, those unlikely misses are also really dramatic, mm-hmm. you know? So no, yeah. uh, no, I just, I'm, I'm in favor of maximizing drama. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, but I do think if you're going to fudge any rules, fudge it in, fla- in favor of the, the player. There's an interesting, there's an interesting thing that, uh, that, that was done in a, in a recent uh, strategy game, Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Mm-hmm. The way that they per, the the way that they portrayed or calculated percent to hit, where it was kind of quantized, um, okay, to, 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 to simplify it. But I don't know exactly how they did it. It was like, hey, this is the, the this is a hundred percent about to hit. This is either like fifty fifty or there's no chance at all. 
is, yeah, is, yeah. is, how, they, is how they, I believe they quantified it. But I, I, a cursory search does not actually show me. I remember reading that. That's an interesting, that's an interesting uh, take on that. Yeah. Like philosophically, I have no problem with that, but mm-hmm. I have not played that game because it has rabbits in it. Like it's, it keeps going on sale and I think I would like the game. So I'm, I've been tempted a couple times because I've been in a real strategy mode, but I still like looking at the rabbits. No, no, they're unpleasant. It's, 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 they're, it's the weird eyelids. Yeah. They, uh, they've got those family guy eyes. Mm, yeah. You know, it's like everything is kind of half closed on both sides. <laughs> and they just scream all the time. Yep. Like, isn't their whole thing that they're like hyper idiots? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I just I'm not interested in hyper idiots. I know. Give me sedate idiots. Anybody who listens to our YouTube recommendations like sedate idiots. I don't I don't need, I don't want anyone to have energy. If I don't get it, you don't get it. Like, like, um, oh, is this uh, is this me or you with uh, uh, this, this will be me. Uh, Lauren okay. writes via contact. Uh, this is the first time I've been able to write in and it's about one of my favorite games from childhood. Sweet. Fire Emblem Sacred Stones was recommended to me by my best friend. She had described it as a really fun chess-like game. Naturally, I requested it as my next birthday gift. I was, and still am, one of those people who unlocks every character and keeps them all alive to the end of the game. My main method of recruiting my supposed enemies was to take all of Seth's weapons, put them in range to lure them out, and place the necessary character nearby so they could swoop, so they could swoop in during the next turn and uh, give them some friendship. Uh, It worked very well. I played through Erica's campaign first, and then Ephraim soon afterwards. I remember thinking that Ephraim's had more interesting levels, but Erica's had the better story. Uh, The swaying factor was Joshua. In Erica's route, you learn that Joshua is the prince of Jehanna. Uh, More importantly, he and his mother are reunited during her dying breaths. Looking back, Joshua has some interesting parallels with Lion. Uh, Both do not think that uh, that they are ready to take on the responsibilities of rulers. Joshua had left to make himself worthy of such a role on his own in his own eyes. Lion, on the other hand, uh, thinks uh, himself so unworthy that he brings his father back to life so that he would not have to be king himself. Joshua may have a gambling problem, but Lion had a soul being eaten problem. So I think Joshua got the the better end of that. Uh, I was also the type of person who had to unlock every support conversation. Luckily, all I had to do was sit on the first floor of the Tower of Valny until people wanted to talk to one another. (laughs) Uh, move onto the next floor and repeat until the third floor. Uh, then I could reset. So the game unlocked the conversations in the main menu. Uh, but I wasn't trapped by the five support conversations limit. I did, however, just, uh, just look up the endings for characters who have bonded, uh, conversations involving La Arachel were my favorite. The weirdest ending, however, goes to Erica and Sela. Uh, the two had very pleasant conversations about their homes, with Erica wanting to visit Sala's homeland once the war was over. In their ending, she goes and stays, and they get married and have a kid, and what the hell, Erica, you're supposed to go help run a kingdom. Mm. <laughs> uh, unlike the other romance endings, there was no romantic confession to signal a, to signal such a future. Uh, it also doesn't help that Erica refers to him as Master Sala, like his pupil does. Sacred Stones meant a lot to teenage me. I have never felt the pull to play another to play the other Fire Emblem games, however. Multiple friends have recommended three houses, but something in me knows that I will find the game a chore more than enjoyable. Who knows? Maybe Sacred Stones came along at the right time for me. Um, or maybe I don't want to risk seeing another Erica and Sala situation. This definitely one of the things we I think we talked about it during the episode, but if I had come upon this 
you know, if I was younger mm-hmm. and come upon these games at a certain age, like I would have gone pretty deep on them. hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like yeah. we, we talked about kid patience a lot, specifically with any kind of JRPG. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it, it applies to this. Like this has a lot of the rhythms yes. uh, and feeling of a JRPG without being one, like even down to grinding out all of the support conversations. Like that's the kind of thing that a pink tail hunting <laughs> me might do. Yeah. That a, uh, you know, 39 year old me might not do. No. I will say that I picked up three houses. I'm not very far in it, but boy, those battles move quick. Do they? Yeah. That's it's, good. it's pretty, it's really actually pretty satisfying. Um, That's good. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, uh, I am interested to play that at some point. I'm interested to revisit Awakening at some point. Yeah. Uh, through that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Lauren, for the story. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like I said, I, I definitely could imagine being in that spot. Yeah. For sure. Um, and also, you know, the the I think that both of the responses that we got or all the responses we got kind of an underlying theme of like pointing out some stuff that we missed, yeah. either story stuff or mechanical stuff. And we knew that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you know, it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we totally appreciate it. Like, we like it when people are like, you know, polite, you know, if they're, if they're not jerks about it, you <laughs> right. know, if it's on Twitter drive by, someone just be like, hey, did you know this? And it's yeah. like, well, oh, thank that's you. actually I cool. That. I wish I would have, you know, I would have, I would have enjoyed that if I saw it. Yeah. The secret to making any of those things go down well, and this isn't, doesn't have anything to do with our responses, no. you know, just in general, though, for people listening, is say, do you, did you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it makes everything sound okay. Did you like, know hey, as opposed to, oh, you missed? Yeah, oh, you missed, or just uh, a, a context free, this is how it is. Mm hmm. Because that just kind of comes aggressive. But did you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just like, oh, it's a question. I get to answer that. That's, you know, I can bring myself to this. Like, that mm-hmm. is just a much more polite way to frame, like, almost anything. Yeah. So, um, moving on to Half-Life 2 responses. Andrew says, Viva Contact. Uh, Half-Life 2 was the first game where I was acutely aware of the hype surrounding its release, and I was aware of the possibility of extreme disappointment. I was a freshman in college when it came out, and I couldn't wait to play it, but was nervous that it would disappoint. Just one year earlier, Deus Ex Invisible War, the sequel to my favorite game of all time, came out, and I couldn't even get through the first level. It was just a huge letdown and a wake-up call to check my expectations in the future. Half-Life 2 was the complete opposite. From the moment I stepped off the train into City 17, I knew this game was special. I played the game on my freshman laptop in just two sittings. Wow. Uh, Class was an afterthought in those days. The game grabs you from the start and just never lets go. Do you guys remember any games being hugely hyped and either delivering or letting you down? Half-Life 2 was always, uh, will always stick with me as that perfect sequel to truly deliver on its promise. My example for that is not unique, but Fable. Um, I, okay. bought, I bought into the hype, mm. you know, and it just ended up being a fine action RPG. I have never played any of the Fable games. They're, they're fine action RPGs. That's, that's my understanding. Yeah. I know Fable, Fable 2 has been bandied about for the show before, but I've just yeah. had just a big blind spot. Like, they came out during a period in which I wasn't playing a lot of games, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got, you know, a bunch of uh, examples of that, but, like, one, you know, just to throw out an easy one would be uh, Fallout Brotherhood of Steel. Oh, yeah. You know, the uh, the Diablo-like game that is somehow, like, unplayable. <laughs> like, like you know? how in the world? How in the world yeah. did that did they botch that? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance that is impossible to play yeah like uh but yeah it is uh half-life 2 is wonderful i did not have that hype cycle for it i just played mm. it a little bit later but i yeah it yeah. is awesome nope i was straight up hyped and I, then i got mm-hmm. hyped again for the uh for the orange box mm-hmm. yeah um matt writes in via contact i replayed half-life 2 along with the show and it was such an absolute treat to go back to I'm kind of of the opinion that Half-Life 1 hasn't aged that well, so I was expecting something similar with 2, but if anything, it far surpassed the game that I'd remembered. 
As I'm sure you'll discuss, it's just a roller coaster ride the whole way uh, that once you start playing, you're doing one exciting thing after another until suddenly two hours have passed. Something that occurred to me uh, playing is playing it is how it's sort of structured like a generic modern video game with alternating combat, puzzle, and vehicle sections. But unlike in modern games, it doesn't force you into entirely different gameplay modes to do it. I know that some people chafe at the puzzle and vehicle sections in these games, and yeah, there may be a little junkier than an Uncharted clone, but to me, I think that's the key to the immersion. I struggle uh, to finish a lot of modern AAA games, and I realize I realized playing Half-Life 2 that every time one of those games switches to a forced stealth section or a forced puzzle section, it's an invitation to quit playing. Half-Life 2 integrates that gameplay variety so seamlessly that you just get locked into a perfect flow state. Thanks for the encouragement to a replay. I honestly think now that Half-Life 2 is probably my favorite first-person shooter of all time, uh, which is something I definitely would not have said before this replay. Yeah, like the, those those modality switches, like those are all thresholds. And think about it, every threshold is you have to clear it, and sometimes you don't. Yeah, and and the, specifically the not having to it being a half modality, like modality, yeah. you know, changing the the context, but not your verb set or what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, your capacity. Like we did talk about that a lot in the episode, but it's it's good to hear someone else notice it because I think it's a real strength. Yeah, of the game. Um, yeah, and I'm glad uh, we encourage people to revisit it. It's not my favorite first-person shooter of all time, probably, but it is incredibly up there, and it's it's one of the greats, one of the best things we've done for the show. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Um, Gabriel says, via contact, or Viva contact, <laughs> Half-Life 2 is one of my all-time favorites and has a special place in my heart. It was one of the first games I bought brand new for my PC that I put together back in 10th grade on my 10th grader's budget. Uh, my 10th grader's budget. Yeah, like an no. evocative phrase. I don't <laughs> like, just like I didn't even get a tenth grader's budget for this. Um, at the time, I had a GeForce uh, fifty two hundred and later a fifty six hundred, so it was great to have an amazing looking game that ran well on my modest setup. When I installed the game, I remember thinking, "What the hell is Steam? I don't want any more bloatware on my machine." Little did I know. Another little surprise on those discs was the Counter-Strike Source game, or Counter-Strike Source, a game which ate up hundreds of hours of what could have been called a social life, or what could have been a social life. (laughs) Half-Life 2 is one of those games I revisit every three years or so. It has always kept that modern feel that it had back in 2004. When I play it, I feel a strong nostalgia, and it always reminds me of what my head felt like when I was 15 or 16 years old. Another strong emotional component is the sensation captured of being in the Pacific Northwest Coast in the late fall, early winter. I don't really know how to describe the feeling besides a depressing warmness <laughs> sometimes uh in the summer when the heat and sun are just starting to get old i will fire up half-life 2 and take my time on the coast levels just to get that vibe hmm. i don't hold out much hope for half-life 3 but if tool can put out a new album this year the temperatures in hell must at least be decreasing it is certainly possible <laughs> so talk, talk about separating art from artists yeah 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 <laughs> um, um yeah yeah um, yeah, those, those vibes, those beach vibes are very winter beach mm-hmm. up in Oregon for sure. And I will always love a rocky beach, and this game has a big one. I don't, I don't know if you feel the same way, Cole, or if Gabriel does, but I was so fucking horny for fall this year. I am I was dying of, like, fall withdrawal. Oh. <laughs> the, the summer was not super hot, but uh-huh. it was stressful and difficult and busy mm-hmm. because of Duckfest. And I just feel like I am falling into, like, a pile of leaves spiritually in like a really serious way um i i'm 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 super horny for it i cannot wait to get back out into the woods 
uh, when the temperature drops down again. Um, it has not hit us yet. I know it's hit you up there. Uh, like this, this morning when I, when I, when I left the house, it was like 85 and muggy and stuff. Um, yeah, no, I, I really, really want, uh, the fall to get here because I couldn't How about really... no more hot days. Yeah. No, no more hot days. Ma- max oh. it out at 68. Yep. 68 is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I would, I would, you know, and I, Hey, twist my arm 50. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll, I'll wear like a, a medium coat. Yeah. It's all fine. the time. It's be wonderful. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Now I didn't really get to enjoy the last fall because I was moving and that was, a, you know, just like a month's long process to actually get settled mm-hmm. in. So I'm really happy to be like settled into a place where I can go enjoy outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Want it. Uh, I'm, I am just bracing for when the first leaves change. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, baby. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. let's let's see here this will be me on this one uh doug writes via contact half-life 2's ending felt anticlimactic to me the first time that i played it but since then i've come to appreciate just how special it is half-life 1 culminate, culminated with significant traversal and combat challenges and a predictably difficult boss fight against a giant space fetus so when half-life 2 had no grand battle against the combine queen or something similar it seems strange over time, I came around to appreciating that the fights preceding the last stretch were the final exam, and the cathartic period that came after it was a way of making the joy of success playable, and thus something the player could actively experience, rather than the purely passive reward of a cutscene. The only other game that did this so successfully that I can think of is Super Metroid. Once you get the hyperbeam, the gameplay challenges are trivialized, uh, but in a way that is empowering through the final escape from Zebes. The more I meditate on it, uh, the more I think about, uh, the more I think games need to maintain some interactivity between the last gameplay challenge and the final cutscene or credits. It honors the player's participation that separates games uh, from any other medium without subtracting any of the challenge of a game's climactic moments. It's the difference between watching a bunch of NPCs throwing you a parade and getting to march in one. Yeah, that's uh, well observed. Yes. Yeah, I uh, I also really like the victory lap. Same. That you actually get to play. Mm-hmm. So, and Super, Mar- Super Metroid is actually a great comparison yeah. to the end of Half-Life 2. Like, that, that's really apt. Yeah, no, I, I co-signed that response. It's good. Yeah, good job, Doug. That was very good. Uh, moving on to some resp- responses about Pinball, the uh, live episode we recorded at DuckFest. If you're like, hey, you guys didn't do an episode on Pinball, watch your fucking tongue. We did. <laughs> it's, uh, it's part of, uh, if you go to duckfeed.tv slash DuckFest, uh-huh. uh, you can pick up the most recent Duck Bundle. Or duck, uh, rather, duckfeed.tv slash duck bundle. Mm-hmm. Pick up the most recent bundle uh, for charity. It goes to Reyes's. And uh, this has the live recordings from Duckfest, yes. including our pinball episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gary, I've gone and played more pinball. I, I have too. Nice. I, I went to the Comic Con and PRGE had a room set up. Mm. And I was like, I was dead on my feet and just, you know, overstimulated as all hell. And I was like, oh, I'm going to play some pinball though. <laughs> I'm, I'm overstimulated. Give me some flashing lights and loud noises. Totally. That's why I was going is just to like get overstimulated for like four hours. Yeah. So uh, that is the Comic Con experience. Hmm. Like you, you, I started in the like artist alley, which was good and sweet yeah. and ended in like the, the Geico, we will value, fuck you to meatloaf's bad out of hell value jo- zone, <laughs> which was like a blue, a gigantic blue trailer that you went into. Ooh. And I don't know what happened. Like, <laughs> I, I, I know it sounds like a bit, but I literally never saw anyone come out of it. <laughs> so I, I was going to say, why did you go into the trailer, Gary? Uh, Cause they were making Liz, Lizulons. They were making like lizard Lizardulons or yeah, something okay. in there. Yeah. Like they were turning everyone into geckos. Oh. <laughs> um, there was also like the monster, uh, uh, coffee energy drink mad lab and the ninsaki beer dome thing and i'm like or ninkasi beer dome and i'm like i 
this is so loud and dumb. <laughs> like, I, I have to get away from this this section of Comic-Con. This is yeah. fucking dumb as hell. Was this at the uh, convention center or the yeah. expo center? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, convention center. So Rose City Comic-Con, which gotcha. has got a really big. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, it is now a place for autographs mostly, but you can also go and just kind of walk around and check shit out. Yeah. I told you this. I sent you a text, and just because there's nowhere else to put it, they had the uh, the guy who did all the character designs and did King of the Hill, and I was gonna buy you some art and get mm-hmm. it signed, but it was all mashup. Yeah. It was literally all Bobby dressed up as R two D two and shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, did you send me did you send me a picture of that, or did you just explain it? I forget. I think I think I just explained it um, in part because there is no cell reception. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I sent you a picture later of a booth, but it took. Uh, you know, hours for it to send. Yeah. No, so. it was, uh, <laughs> you said like, yeah, it's, it's all like Bobby is as a uh, C3PO or whatever. And my response was look up on my works. You might be. Yeah. It was really depressing. <laughs> yeah. Like he might've like, I might, then I look through, I didn't just like look at his stuff on display, like he had books and stuff. Uh-huh. And it's just very sad to have somebody go into the con mode of just like, okay, everyone has to be a doctor who character. I can't make money. Yeah. You know, very depressing. <sighs> well, thank you for looking um, anyway. No problem. I, I was, I was surprised to see him there. It was super cool. Um, Finally, so Doug's a final response about con, uh, pinball. We have a contact. Growing up, we had a pinball machine in our house. My dad, for reasons I do not know, decided on a machine themed on Elton John's Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy album. It was relatively simple as pinball machines went, but it was a great companion to the Atari games I was playing at the same time. If it wasn't obvious already, these are from uh, from these touchstones. I was born in 1980. Me too. Uh Sometime around the third or fourth grade, the machine stopped working, something to do with the on-off switch. It sat in the upstairs room for decades until maybe three or so years ago. My dad contacted a local specialist to have it fixed so my daughter could have the same experience with it. A pickup truck arrived and we lugged Elton John down the stairs uh, into bed. That's when into the bed. That's when things went wrong. It's a good sentence. Um <laughs> I was following the truck to its destination. The pinball machine was tightly secured in the truck bed, but unfortunately, nobody, including my dad with his science PhD, factored in the wind, res- wind resistance of the upright part of the oh, machine, no. which folded down ooh, onto the rest of the machine with a crash. What was a simple circuit repair was now a complete and total loss. Uh, hopefully, no. someday I'll get a new machine so my kids can have the same joy of playing that I did. Just a word of caution to any listener who has to transport one. Wow. That's a bummer. I'm surprised that technician didn't take that into account. You'd think so. Yeah. Like that, I don't think, don't be too out on your dad. Yeah, like no. That's definitely like, the pinball technician's fault. It's, it's the professional's fault to figure out transport, I think. Yeah. Huh. Wow, he's out, yeah. I, when I was looking at buying a, a pinball machine, when I was, uh, you know, going crazy uh, on pinball. <laughs> yeah. I uh, was looking at, like, transporting them, mm-hmm. like what it took. Because there are places that ship them. Um, but they all have to do freight shipping because they're huge. And right. every single one of them was like, hey, fold down the, the top, you dummy. Mm-hmm. So this technician did not know his shit. Yeah. In a huge bummer way. Yeah. Well, what a what a sad loss for your family. That would have been yeah. fun for your daughter. Yeah. That, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, for your responses. We really appreciate it. Um, if you have anything to say about next month's games, which we're going to, uh, which are October, yeah, October, which yeah. is uh, Call of Cthulhu. Silent Hill Shattered Memories, the Resident Evil 7 DLCs, or Alan Wake, hit us up at duckfeed.tv slash contact. Yep. The deadline for those is the 15th of October, and the deadline for our November games is the 15th of November. Gary, let's talk about what we, what we are doing in November. Yeah. And this is an exciting month. Every It's all thrillers and killers, no fillers, for the rest of the year. Yep. Uh, and some weirdos in here, which I love. Yes. Um, so the first game we're doing uh, on... The beginning of November is the last express. Yeah. 
classic um, uh, adventure game. It's been on our mm-hmm. list for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to uh, getting to jump into it. I've never played it before, Gary. Uh, I have played it, but never beat it. Okay. Um, it is one of those games that has a real-time element yep. to it. So it is something where I'm going to say right now that I'm going to abuse a guide. Yep. So I don't feel bad. But it is so cool looking. It is so neat. There are so many great touches. It's really cool. Uh, this was a, a Patreon request from Jeff Sweet. Cool. So thank you, Jeff. Uh, the next game we're doing, and this is the, the cool weirdo one. And I'm really excited to cover this because it's so fucking weird. And I've never heard anyone talk about it like a video game um, <laughs> is Simpsons hit and run. Yeah. So all that time, like, oh, we, we got to do a Rockstar game, like a, like a proper open world game. When are we going to do that? Well, we're going to do it. Simpsons style. This is, this is not that. This is the um, hit and run, I think, is the isn't this the uh, crazy taxi knockoff? No, no. You're thinking that, of oh, road rage. Is, I thought I well, so I thought the um, you're right, but I was thinking I thought the Rockstar one was the Simpsons game. No, no, uh, Simpsons game is like a 3D platformer kind of thing. Got you, got you. Yeah, this is this is uh, like a GTA clone that is based in the world of the Simpsons. Yeah, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, excited. This is also a Patreon request from Volpus. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be really fun. Yeah, uh, and because we can like if we can't talk about the Simpsons or <laughs> the fidelity to the Simpsons, like how insufferable will we will we be about any factual errors it makes? <laughs> well, is your is your bet very? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'd put money on that. Yeah, no, the b- b- bets are starting at very. Um, yeah, it's yeah. very and up. <laughs> no, I'm excited to get to drive around Springfield. This is a game that I've uh, wanted to play for a while. Like it was considered the good Simpsons game mm-hmm. uh, back in the day before it yeah, was I'm... tapped out became everything yeah and i mean with the arcade game yes you know this is definitely you know and then people like that simpsons the simpsons game because it comes from the simpsons writers but i've heard it's not great as a video game right um yeah but i'm really excited to play this same um it is uh only on hardware obviously it's never been on a downloadable service but i think the pc version is abandonware Ooh. so i think that's going to be the way i'm going to go for it cool um and then the final game our premium game for november um is going to be deus ex human revolution yeah yeah a lot of people have been asking for this for quite a while, including I, me. Yeah, no, I, I can't tell you this is another one of those games that I have just not played because I knew we were going to be doing it on the show. So, yeah, it is. Uh, it is very good. Yeah, um, it's a really good game. It is, uh, you know, it's not. Is it Deus Ex good? No. Does it have like a kind of a bummer ending? Yes. Uh, it is a really, really fun modern 0451, though. Yeah. Um, just a lot of really like there is a, a conversational boss battle system in this that I think is about as good as they get. Cool. Um, and this it's really good. So it's a, an awesome game. I want to talk about it forever. Um, yeah. So that's what's going on in November. Um, if you are going to be uh, if you're in the Pacific Northwest or if you like traveling, we're going to be at Portland Retro Gaming Expo mm-hmm. in October. Um, that is where the dates. That's mid-October. It yes, is... Uh, it is going to be the weekend of. Uh, the 18th, 19th, and 20th. So we will be on the floor on the 19th and the 20th at our booth. And I do not know if we have a panel time yet. Uh, we don't have a time, but we do have a panel. And mm-hmm. we do have a panel subject. Yes. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, retro uh, hidden underrated gems, retro gems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is kind of a boilerplate topic, but we've never done it. Right. And uh, there's got to be a way on this network that I can talk about Ranger X and replay it and nobody's patronizing it. So I got to be able to talk about Ranger X. Yeah. So we are going to be making our cases uh, for games that uh, I I think each other, the, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we both want the others to play, but also at large, like, Hey, go back and reevaluate this. Yeah. This is worth, this is worth a look. So, uh, you know, I don't, we don't know the exact format of it, format of it. We have to kind of plan time. Like, I think it'd be fun to do, 
separate it out by console. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe do like Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Genesis. Mm-hmm. Like each do three. I think that'd be kind of fun. Um, but we'll 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 have more details as we get closer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, stay tuned. You know, a lot of fun stuff happening in the fall. The fall is a big time for us. PRGE, we'll talk about Duckstream, you know, after PRGE, mm-hmm. things like that. And as we mentioned, uh, it's cold now and therefore good. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you like this show, if you want to submit questions or prompts um, or hear our wrap-up episodes or our catch-up episodes or we do the questions we didn't get to mm-hmm. on here, uh, you, you can do so by becoming a patron. If you go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Yeah. Uh, thank you to everybody who has done that in the past. And also thanks to everybody who came out uh, to DuckFest. Oh, absolutely. Really do appreciate it. That was a very fun time. Yeah. So, um, and uh, yeah, uh, ratings and reviews are very helpful. Talking about us online and things like that, joining us on the Slack. Uh, all of those things are great. Cool. Um, I think that's probably about it. I think so. We'll be back next time with Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Yep. Uh, until then, good night. Good night. Mm-hmm.